is no story about podcasting that is not a cautionary tale. That's a good that's a good quote for us. Right? What, David? Yes. No bits. Genuine question. Yeah. What is the regional accent she's doing in this movie? She's Scottish, isn't she? Is she supposed to be Scottish? Or is she Irish? Uh I I'm gonna be honest with you. Yeah. It's been, been a while a, since you've seen this. It's been movie. a second since I saw this movie. Yeah. And now I can't remember if she's Scottish or Irish. She's doing a very specific accent that I at first thought was Scottish and then I was not so sure. Her name Alethea uh-huh. suggests Scottish to me. Okay. So I just want to make sure. And and her last name is Binny, mm-hmm. which is a very Scottish name. Yeah. Yeah, she's Scottish. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I feel like Idris is often cited as one of the great accent actors of our time. Like he's kind of immaculate. But but uh Tilda Lowkey also up there. Uh yeah, that's true. Um but it's uh she's it calls her a British scholar here, but she's not she's Scottish specific. That's the thing. Yeah. I was like, is she doing a hyper regionally specific British accent or is she Scottish? No, Scottish accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Folks, this is a podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. It's a podcast about filmographies, directors who experience massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of wishes. Yeah. To make whatever crazy passion projects they At want. At least one wish. And sometimes those wishes clear, and sometimes he, they bounce, baby. He's He has gotten two wishes out of Fury Road. Would you agree? Because Furiosa, obviously, mm-hmm. is a, a surer bet. Yes. But nonetheless... Like him getting that funded is is not a guarantee, even I, with the success of Fury. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit similar to uh, the, the Nolan post Dark Knight, where yes. it's like you get to make Inception and you get to make another Batman movie, but you really get to do whatever the fuck you want in that one. But the difference is that with Nolan, it's like you're like clockwork. You pump yep. out a movie every yes. two to three years, right? With Miller, it's like. You take a long time to make a movie, pretty much your whole career. He's not, he's no. not a, I mean, like, right at the start, he was pretty fast. I get, you know, like through to Thunderdome, but you know, then sure. it started. So it's like, if, like, after Mad Max Fury Road, knowing everything you know about that movie, yeah. Miller sits down and is like, I want to make a prequel. No one in the room, including George Miller, is thinking, like, great, that'll be ready to go in a couple it years. Took 20 years to get Fury Road off the ground. Exactly. Right. And then making Fury Road was, very, very involved. Yes. He's not young. No. No, and the other thing was, at, at, there, at many points in time, he was like, I'm doing two Mad Max movies back to back. Like, yeah. he had Fury Road and Furiosa both planned out. Yes. And it was like, he's going to do both of them, or he's going to make one of them animated or whatever. Right. So then when it just became he's only doing Fury Road, it's like, we're never going to see Furiosa. And then even when he was like, no, I might do Furiosa, you're like, yeah, you might do Furiosa. How badly do you want to go back into the desert? And shoot another flaming cars movie. Is Hemsworth playing a Morton Joe in Furiosa or is he playing someone new? He's playing someone new. So who's playing a Morton Joe? Is it Tom Burke? No, That's I think a Morton Joe's not. No, he's in it. He is? According to the synopsis. Okay, interesting. No, because they the, recently photos came out of Chris Hemsworth's character. And he and, had like a big top hat on or something. He looked he looked wild. And he's right? got like a Raleigh Fingers mustache. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Let me try and find it. I mean, it he looks great. like a fictional character who owns a candy store. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know when like a candy store, comes a sweet up? shop. Yes. You know when like a, a sweet shop comes up with like a cartoon avatar of its owner. Yeah. He looks like that. Um, but his character name is absurd. Wait, what is his character name? Look it up. 
Tom Burke is playing the character that Yaya Abdul Mateen II was originally supposed to play, which makes right, me I think it that. is not. It, it wouldn't a Morton be a Morton Cho, Cho yes. one would think. Right. Um, whereas this kind of looks like it could be a Morton Joe type. It could. Maybe look. Maybe it, but it the, also looks like right. He's like Willy Wonka's grandpa. Maybe gets, or whatever. I forgot he had the beard as well. <laughs> the mustache goes like this, and then some of the other photos he had like oh, you know, Dementus is the supposed name. Dementus. Dementus. Okay. How do you get that name, you think? I don't know. Maybe just by being a super chill, normal guy. Runs in the family. I don't know. There's just something about it where it's like, how does 3,000 Years of Longing exist? A $60 million movie. It that's is the big question. A 60 million. 60. It's a pretty expensive million. movie. I mean, yeah. It's you know, and it looks those, pretty fancy. It's a real blank check. Look. I got all those I, little cutaway story scenes. Set sequences. up the premise of the podcast, right? But a premise we should say that... Uh, really solidified around Fury Road. We've said this before, but the yeah. night that we figured out what the podcast should be after almost a year of doing only Star Wars prequels was the night that we saw Fury Road yep. for the first time. Absolutely. And we were like, this is the fucking thing. And it was the fucking thing. It really was the fucking thing. And that's a perfect example of a guy who's in a real blank check position where it's like, you made this beloved blockbuster like nominated for and won a bunch of Oscars it's like one of the most critically adored movies of its decade it's a movie that's going to play forever kind you of know? everybody likes it everybody likes it yeah but it's like that rare kind of thing that we talk about sometimes on the show like the Matrix or Sixth Sense or whatever where it's like you just you you ticked all the boxes it worked on every level yeah. and yet even still it took seven years other factors involved pandemic and such but miller takes his fucking time and he made about the weirdest movie he possibly could have made with his cachet also knowing that i think to some degree he was hammocked by the promise of doing another mad max which he's doing in a weird way i'm just interested by the arc of it it's like you know in one way it's a logical arc yes. right you know it's it's what we're saying it's like yeah. hey you make fury road sure you get to make one for you a little bit right that's fun and yet at the same time it's like it almost makes sense that he's in production on Furiosa almost to be like, yeah, yeah, you know, this won't be the last you hear of me or this yes. isn't the direction I'm going in forever. Yes. But then again, I also just think he's George Miller and he's in his seven, late 70s. He's yes. not young. No, no, he's not. And he's like, eh, you know, Gotta I wanted do to make this. Yeah. Look, we did our whole George Miller miniseries about two years ago. More because it's it was bifurcated by the pandemic, Ugh, right? Like that's the me. one that yeah. right. That was yeah, sort that of, was the one. Uh, yeah, early 2020. I guess we did almost no, no. We yeah, we because we did like Babe Pig in the City and maybe Happy Feet too on on Zoom. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, Fury Road we had done already. We and we'd done Happy Feet. Yeah, we'd done some of them. And right. then we had done an Efron episode. Remember, we'd done like we had mixed nuts in the can. Yeah, we course. did right happy and feet. we still do we always got some mixed nuts <laughs> rattling around the can but we yeah no uh witches of eastwick happy feet Two, bay pig in the city yeah we did a few of them online anyway yeah, anyway anyway that, yeah it was, so that was when very we, different it was, it was early 2020 right and even at that time there was the lingering like he wants to make this movie i mean as is often the case with him he'll like verbalize this like project he wants to do and then you just hear of years of delays of him being like, well, we were going to shoot here, but the weather wasn't right, or the timing wasn't this, or we need the time to do that, or whatever. Right. But pretty quickly, post-Fury Road, it felt like it was like, this is the next thing I want to do. 
these are the two actors I have attached. We're putting together financing. Yeah. Um, it took a while to actually come to you're fruition. You're right. It was these. It was Idris and Tilda were announced from to begin with. There was no like, because yeah. this is one of those movies you could see where it's like, oh yeah, there were like five genies and five no. doctor, you know, you know, professors. Right. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. 2018 announced, described as being epic in scope. And I guess it's 2018. It's three years from Fury Road. Yeah. Yeah, he gets to do what he wants. He gets, he to, gets to, do he wants. to do what he wants. He gets to do what he wants. I mean, look, people are more than allowed to dislike this movie. But it's a thing I said to you over text last night after seeing this film, where the one thing that bums me out is I do feel like there has been some, by bad faith, people, gleeful reportage of this movie bombing in this like, oh, he made this self-indulgent art film for $60 it's, million. Look, there's dollars. a bad crowd on The folly of this And it's thing. not an important crowd, and it's yeah. not even a particularly influential crowd. But there yeah. is a certain crowd that seems to take some weird delight in weird projects not working. Right. Like, what were they thinking? Yeah, this you esoteric, know, like kinda... masturbatory thing. And I'm just like, dislike this movie or not, it's fine. We should be allowing this to happen. I this agree. used to happen. If you fucking make Fury Road, you get to do whatever the fuck you want. My only That's thing... a perfect example of a movie where everyone should step back and go, you know what? You're right. This worked on every metric. This is what our podcast is about. Fucking, we trust you. And it, it happens so infrequently these days. And beyond that, so infrequently does someone take that cachet and actually spend it on something like this that would never get made and certainly not at this scale otherwise. Beyond that. We should be thrilled that they let him make it, that it exists. I agree with all that. But beyond that, I don't, because people have been saying like, oh, it was poorly marketed and like, it's too too bad. It got kind of dumped. And like, that's that's all fair. Yes. Like, I, it doesn't seem like it was really aggressively marketed and it is getting kind of like put yeah. out in late August the in the worst, kind of doldrums. Like what is notoriously, yeah, not along a good with time the first weekend them. of January, the worst movie going. But weekend. I don't think this was a movie that was ever going to be a screaming success. It's pretty esoteric. I think two things can be true at the same time, which is they mangled the marketing and release of this movie and this movie is kind of unmarketable. Pretty tough to market. I don't know, I don't know how you sell this movie and the problem is it's it's a movie made for primarily weirdos like us because it's almost like like here's here's a great encapsulation right i went to see some movie with uh romley my sister longtime sister and uh the trailer comes up and the trailer for this movie the first like 30 seconds make it seem like mrs harris goes to paris it's yeah. like twinkly I have, i've seen the trailer like one time it's I, tilda I, swinton sitting alone journaling in the cafes a solitary type you know whatever hmm. No yeah. hint of mysticism. It's just like Tilda Swinton takes a nice vacation. She's a middle-aged academic enjoying her solitude, right? And then like hotel room, Jin appears, trailer goes into bombastic, like EDM music, hallucinatory. What? Like they sell the fantasy story elements like it's like fucking hardcore, fucking intense shit. And immediately, like when the Tilda stuff is happening, Romley's like, this looks like my kind of movie. <laughs> and the second it fucking goes like, bump, dump, dump, bump, dump, bump, like eyeballs bleeding, you know, and like harems and shit. She was just like, oh, never mind. And it's that thing where you're just like, the people who want to see wackadoo George Miller probably are put off by how much of this movie is an intimate conversation in a hotel room. And the people who want to watch the intimate hotel movie are probably put off by the crazy myths. 
So you need to be a very particular type of person who comfortably can hold both of these things in your head at the same time and have it fit your tastes, which is why this movie is really tough to market. Which is all true. All true. But, I mean, God bless the uh, people, the good people at MGM and Film Nation and whoever else had to put money into this that they probably won't be seeing back. Yeah. You know, that's movie making sometimes, obviously, but like... It just feels like the kind of movie that will be out there and yes. can be kind of stumbled across over the years in the future and will find more fans. And I probably, think so. you know, it, I think it already has, I would say the reaction to this film has been mostly mixed, not even like mixed negative, kind of a sort of like most of most reviews I have seen have been like, ah, it wasn't really for me, but I. I I'm I can't stop thinking or like or I, I keep thinking about it or I'm impressed that it exists. That's the thing. But like the, most of mostly kind of still a mixed bag experience for the people. people talking about it bombing. It feels like have not seen it, and the people who have seen it are mostly kind of going like, "Huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes." I walked out of this movie like on a cloud, which right. is like a rare thing for me. Not rare. I like, you I love pinned movies. it as like favorite movie of the year. I just love it in a way so, that's impossible far. to describe. Right. No, I'm saying when you walked out, but it was one of those things where it wasn't like this is a number one of the year by default. But I had the experience and I love it. I mostly see films at press screenings these days. Humbrick. And this film obviously had debuted at Cannes and gotten mixed reviews. I was very interested. Mm -hmm. It's a George Miller film. Yes. It's an original film. You know, I'm very intrigued by it. Mm -hmm. But I was not walking in being like a masterpiece incoming. Right. And I just, you know, it happens to me a few times a year that I'm watching a movie and I'm just like, oh, I love all of this. It's just on your wavelength. Yeah. yeah. And then of course, I, this movie does have a sort of like major tonal shift in the third act mm -hmm. and plot shift. And I've heard from some people where they're sort of like and that's kind that kind of didn't work for me and i'm like yeah i guess i get it but i was even more into that oh or that's whatever. like what i love that the most for me and yeah. i also i've seen people being like the ending is such an abrupt rug pill it, uh, pull it feels like they ran out of money and i'm like that feels that's not like how a... movies work no for fuck's sake no, sorry also i mean just that like, affectionately his problem was not <laughs> not being given enough money for this movie <laughs> yeah, right I love that idea, though, where he's like, I was going to do another magnificent tale of the past, but I'm out of money, so I guess I'll just melt him in a closet. You yes. Know? I'll just turn him to ash in the basement. Right. Fuck you, it's cell phone. Yeah. But I also, I'm just... Spoiler like, alert for this movie. Ending is the whole point. I mean, not not to, like, reduce it too much, but this is a we, we tell ourselves stories in order to live movie, right? That's the big thing Miller is saying with this film. A lot, of, a lot of great filmmakers, when they get to this stage of their career, start to make the movie, if not the autobiographical movie, almost sort of the self-reflexive movie of like, why do I do this? Weren't we talking about this with Zemeckis? Yeah, yeah, there's Where, definitely some like, of this with Zemeckis. Late career Zemeckis, I forget what guest, but someone was pointing out that their, ex their life experience starts to become through the lens of being a director. I think it was Emily on the Marwin episode, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. And that that's what this movie feels like. But yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, th this is not an autobiographical movie, but this absolutely feels like the movie of a 70-year-old master being like, why do I make movies? Yeah. Why do I do this? Why do I tell stories? What is the entire nature of doing this thing, of putting on shows and spectacles right, for people? Right. Classic late stage director rumination, right. right? Like, what is the meaning of a story? And right. why do we do this? Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And for a guy who 
has always done things in such a unique way, in such a bizarre way. And and when you hit the end credits of this movie, you're reminded like, right, this guy pretty much has built his entire career existing outside of the studio system, you know, with, with very selective collaboration with studios, which is Vistwick is like the one movie that's really him like doing the American studio system thing. But outside of that, it's like, and even that is an absolutely bananas movie. Right. But, but it's that a Kennedy is, Miller Mitchell. Yeah, no, that is the closest his regular to him hopping on a studio project with a script he didn't write. You know, he's got this sort of under-discussed career as a mini mogul, even in terms of like how many other Australian directors he kickstarted, like Philip Noyce and stuff. Yeah. You know? But it's like he's just figured out his own way, does things on his own terms, and then now is sitting back and going, like, why do I do this? 3,000 years of long. Yeah, that is the name of the movie we're talking about. Returning to George Miller. The 108 minutes of pure entertainment. If you ask this me. is Gene Shalit. <laughs> um, it's a George Miller film mm-hmm. written by George Miller and Augusta Gore. Who is his daughter. I don't think I knew that. That's cool. This is a short story he had read a while ago. By A.S. Byatt. And his daughter, I believe primarily studies like mythology and folklore and stuff um that's interesting and he had been looking for a co-writer and then he was like i should just do this with my daughter which is this other sweet element to this movie it's like you know his his wife is his editor he makes movies with his best friends and his family and there is almost this kind of generational passing down thing on this movie this is his daughter's first credit in anything yeah it is yeah and it was one of those things where, like, it started filming like days before yes. lockdown, like early March 2020. Yeah, and so it got massively delayed, mm-hmm. and I think they restarted filming in the fall. Um, they end up not filming in Istanbul because of the pandemic. That sounds right. They like recreated. It was mostly in Australia. Yeah, there was yeah, some yeah. deadline review I read from when this movie was playing at Con, and the person interviewing him was like, "I have stayed at that hotel." I know the hotel you're basing this movie on. Sure. It is the most immaculate reconstruction of the rooms right, in that because hotel. Because it looks like the you know, a real spot for right. sure. I mean, yeah. They recreated that. That's the crazy. Ag- Agatha Christie room. Yes. The Agatha Christie room. Fucking Agatha Christie needs a fancy hotel to write the mousetrap or whatever. Yeah. It is a tale of a lonely British scholar mm-hmm. who Well, is she Scottish? Yeah, well, Br- Scotland Scotland is in Britain. For now. For now, they may be leaving. They would like to, or they, they, there are certain people in Scotland would like to be independent. Um, who unleashes a gin uh-huh. inside an antique bottle? Yes, that she buys at a local trinket store. Uh-huh. Okay, right off the bat, I'm definitely buying every fucking You're- bottle I can find at trinket stores for now on, <laughs> and just rubbing them and then every like single tossing one. them over your Trying shoulder. To open it, damn it, <laughs> smashing them on the ground. Uh, I want a GD. Uh, Big he, time. Do you want him to be like room size, like he is, and then he comes out basically very large? Yeah, fills I want the a whole big room. boy. Yeah, or a girl. Fill it up. I want a big genie. Yeah, not enough girl genies. No, it's a good. It's a good point. I dream of. Well, that's true. She's kind of the queen of girl genies, I yeah. guess. But uh, you know, often classically represented as male. I yes, guess. not I many. Um, uh, out comes a gin played yes. by Idris Elba. Let's and mention also, you said she's a scholar, but she's like a folklore. She she's, studies. She studies narrative stories. Or whatever. Her whole yeah. thing is trying to find 
the the common threads that are shared across the stories of all cultures to figure out the things that unify us. She hosts a TED Talk that might be the most boring thing I've ever seen. It's not scintillating stuff. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's all right. It's, but she sort of breaks stories down in very mathematical. That's the, I believe that's the narrative purpose of that TED yeah. Talk oh, sequence, right? Where it's like, you know, this story. is a lady who's kind of boiling things down a little too much, yeah. right? I love or, when you make stories into math. I, mean, I do think it's interesting that study of like where it's like you know like cinderella is like a folk tale or you know that might even but, but like yeah. and then you like look at other cultures and you're like oh they have a lot you know, they're, they're, this this myth recurs like there's right. various types of myths that sort of like clearly are rooted in something deeper because they sort of spread across yes. the world it's, it's yes. the thing That's i cool. like look her ted talk looks boring as hell but the thing i like that they put a point on is that she's specifically trying to find the commonalities across cultures it's like, what are the story elements that transcend time and place that seem to speak to some fundamental human yearning rather than any cultural specificity, you know? Yeah. Um, out comes the djinn. Mm -hmm. Well, she sees some other creatures, too. She is occasionally having hallucinations of other things, it's true, well, or visions. The, right, there's the, the little man who tries to take her luggage cart at yeah. the airport. yeah. They joke that it's a gym. And then she sees someone at the TED Talk or whatever. Yes. Sitting in the crowd, right? And she like faints. And she faints. Yeah. Right. They all have this. And she's got a slightly, she seems touchy or what's yeah. the word? Like she seems like someone who might like suddenly faint. Like she just she feels seems a little fragile. frail or yeah, 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 yeah. I, mean, I don't know. She's got the thing where she's hyper defensive about how happy she is. Right, right, right. She's doing great. She's I'm doing, doing great. great. This and is exactly she is what staying I want in a fancy it. hotel. Yeah. And she is clearly very successful in this incredibly like niche field. Right. So flown around the world. Great glasses. Yeah. Great glasses. I like Mike get those for like her haircut a lot in this. Yeah. Yep. Her whole She's... look is really good. Tilda rules. Tilda rules. Have we talked about Tilda yet on the We're show? We're gonna uh, look. We can talk about Tilda. Um a friend of the show, Fran Hofter, pointed out it's odd that she puts her hair up in a towel. She has very short hair. Yeah, she doesn't need that. <laughs> she doesn't need to do that. And yeah. I feel like it's more just like, well, she should look really toweled yeah. up. You I wish he had just put his hair up in a towel. He should do that. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah Lack yeah. of. Um out comes the gin mm -hmm. and you know, he wants to give her three wishes. It's yeah. his deal. Yeah. But instead, as they're trying to figure out what she might want, because she's given him the whole, what can I even need? I'm sure. happy. Wishing, you know, that leads to trouble. Did you guys feel like you were missing the genie referencing, like, sort of, like, cultural, like, references over, like, the last 20, 30 years? I always feel like there's a character who's been contained within a bottle for centuries if not longer, yeah, it makes the most sense for them to not only have a complete understanding of all the pop culture they've missed, but pop culture that will happen centuries in the future. What I think that should happen is when you come out of the bottle, you should go, you should yeah, stretch. Cranking oh, the neck like you wouldn't believe. Crack. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, he he does do this. He's watching TV. He does some TV stuff. Yeah, but he's like, what the fuck is this? I know, I like that. Yo, yeah. he witch hacks my dudes he goes to the computer he does some vapor ass shit and he knows all the world's knowledge that's <laughs> well, witch hacking that's if i've ever look, heard of it's it. gin hacking it's gin hacking but you know gin is such a fun word gin it gin. is a fun word um and so well the, the the basic structure of most of the movie is yes. him being like all right well if you don't have any wishes let's talk about my life i'll tell you i'll take you through my other sort of 
people I've given wishes to. It's kind of this odd reverse, uh, like uh, a thousand one nights. Yeah, it's very obviously sort of drafting off of that. Yes. Yeah. Um, because I guess he's sort of trying to convince her to wish for stuff. She needs to make a wish. She says, as I misappropriated the beginning of the episode, or butchered, uh, there's there's no wishing story that's not a cautionary tale. This is a trap. There's a there's nothing I want. And she tries the thing of like, what do I want? I want to eat something. And then she feeds herself. And she's like, there, done. And he's like, I only can grant wishes that reflect your innermost desires. Right, which I your like. ultimate wants. It can't be, he's not the kind of genie where I'm like, God, I wish I just felt a little like less sleepy today. He'd be right. like, bam, wish number one. Right. Ha, fuck you, bitch. Only two to go. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, I wish I had a Snickers right now. You have a Snickers. <laughs> right. But she, yeah, she can't be like, tie my shoes. Right. Right. He's um, like, no, 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 no. This is an emotional relationship that we are now engaged in. Right. And I'm here to help you understand what it is you truly want. And I am not a genie who's going to snap my fingers. Like, as we right. see in one of the stories, one of the people's like, I want to, like, I want all the world's knowledge. He's like, all right, let's get some books. Yeah. I'll go get them. Like, it's a you process. Know, he's not right. He's not going to matrix style download yeah. all the knowledge into your brain. But she, like, immediately deflects onto him. Like, I don't know, what's your deal? Yeah, right, right. He, she, he she makes the comment about... And she's kind of, right, she's kind of doing the, like, like he's a mobster going to kill her. She's like, well, right. I don't know, let's have a conversation yeah. over it. You know, she's sort of like, it feels like she's just we drawing it just out. just talk. Right. But he's not trying to hurt her, he's trying to help her. But she's right. a, very resistant to help. But she's fascinated, too. And, of course, because she's fascinated it's like, by this man. especially her, she's a fucking specialist in this stuff. I haven't seen Leo Grande. Uh Sure. Yeah, but, yeah. but I've heard good luck to you, Leo Grande is the full people name. Uh, comparing these two films. Yeah. And this early stuff does have that energy of someone who is like in a hotel with a sex worker being like, we don't we don't have to do anything. We could just talk. Yeah. Like, you know, where she's just immediately like, let's not do the wishing thing. Right. You, you right. tell me about you. What's your deal? Right. He makes the comment about like, I'm a fool. I've been tricked into the bottle like three times. And she's like, interesting. Let's unpack Let's that. I'm your therapist. To be fair, I would also want to hear about that. Like if, yeah. a, if a gin came out, I wouldn't be like, all right, buddy, here we go. $10 billion. Here's yes. my checking account. Uh, world peace, I guess. You know, like, you know, I would, I would like, I'd want to hear about how the wishing process has gone in the past. Absolutely. But right? this is, it's an immediate thing I love about this movie is it's not framed as tell me the stories of some of the other wishes you've granted, right? Mm. Or like, tell me sort of allegorical cautionary tales. It's like, what about you? No one ever asked you about you. Yeah. Tell me about how you got fucked over. Mm -hmm. And then within those stories, you're finding out about other people and the wishes they make and the mistakes they make and all of that. Right. But it's almost like no one's ever asked this guy how he's doing. Right. And right? No one's ever been like, but your your deal is you just grant other people's wishes. You have to like fulfill their innermost desires. Are you okay? How is that? Also, what is it like to be locked in a bottle for thousands of years? Yeah. Gives you such a crick in the neck. Yeah. That's what it is. I'm trying to think if there's any other setup when you you guys seem to have both liked the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I think the script really seemed very positive on it, Ben. You guys yeah. saw it all separately. Yeah. You all saw it alone. I'm guessing at pretty sparsely attended screenings. Yeah, there was like two other people there. Um, I think it was okay. I don't know if I would like go out of my way to watch it again. Fair. But I, I love a genie story. And I love movies like this 
the like classic like bedtime story yeah. let's then cut away to the story i love that yes design and structure in a movie yes it's comforting it's very comforting it's very comforting um I, I think this is not a case like West Side Story where I'm like wishing I loved a movie more that you're like waxing rhapsodic about. No, but I think no. you just do like this movie more than me. Yeah, no, no, but that's... Because you're like over the moon for it. Um, I guess so, or whatever. It's just sort of like... My, but that, that, this isn't like West Side Story at all because with West Side Story, I'm just like, well, this thing is just like an absolute masterpiece of sure. craft. Like it's a little yeah. more... Like, 3,000 years of longing. It is very... The craft is, is I would say, pretty great. Yeah. Like, you know, George Miller is good at that stuff. Yes. But no, I just... Yeah, you really connect it. Yeah. yeah. I is love it maybe these two freaks. What? That you've started to tell stories. You're starting to become your own storyteller with your daughter. You have to start telling stories. And tell night. her stories. And make like up if, stories. If you pick up the spices out of the spice rack and throw them on the floor, they might break. And I don't want you to do that. That's it's a, a great story. story that I tell her because all the time. Because the spice monster. She's upset. Well, and that's the thing. She doesn't. Yeah, I couldn't yet be like the spice monster will get you because you know she doesn't. You know, right. it, w- w- imagination has yet to really enter. Right. The, so you're the not story. There yet. No. The story now is if you do that, you make me upset. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm the she, spice monster. She is obsessed with come, walking to the kitchen and just picking up spices and just like like throwing them around. That's kind of a good bit. A little ratatouille. Yeah, it's uh, fun. Getting fancy with the spices. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. I saw this film with a friend of the podcast, Jordan Hoffman, mm-hmm. uh, who was like, eh, I guess I need to see it. I'm not a Miller fan, though. I'm not into that guy. He's just not my flavor. And then he walked out and was like, I really like that. And it is funny how much it's a quintessential Miller movie, but also in certain strange ways, it is his most reserved film. I would say I would put it on the same shelf thematically is I guess Eastwick and Babe Pig in the City in that all three are like kind of like about, you know, different characters and they're sort of like, they're painted very boldly, right? But they are about like, I mean, well, Babe Pig in the City is about animals, but still like about like people having feelings and like Mad Max is Mad Max. That's its own category of but, but there's even, maxi stuff in here there's a little oh, bit no, there absolutely is i'm just saying compare this movie to like lorenzo's oil well, and lorenzo's, lorenzo's oil is so operatic shot is. like a fucking looney tune like doesn't stop moving and when you get to like the conversations in the hotel room which are like 30 to 40 percent of this movie you're like this is kind of the most restrained george miller has ever been cinematically yes yeah you know well, I mean, it, it's pretty. It's a pretty subdued scene. It is, and obviously, it's intimate, and it's yeah, uh, low energy in a way, and that it's like it's it is a conversation that's being had. Obviously, yes. we're having these very sumptuous, sometimes very exciting flashbacks. Miller's usually a maximalist, uh, but it's like, but this is obviously fairly maximalist. This is what's at the wild. Same time. It's right, what's wild yeah. about this film. It's it's why like 
you might get thrown off by one element or the other. But I'm talking about this movie with Hoffman, and we're just like, how the fuck did he trick people into giving him the money to make this? It's obviously just Fury Road, Fury Road, it's Fury, Fury Road. Road. Right, yeah. But then when I said to him is like, I will give him the credit, though. If you're going to make this movie and sell this movie and get this movie mostly put together by foreign financing, which which is this film was made independently, Film Nation, you know, it was, it was sold to and distributed by MGM. But it was mm-hmm. all put together from foreign financing, international pre-sales and stuff. Uh, you it, it, these these are the two actors you can sell this movie on. Interesting. Not only were these the only two people who were ever attached to it, true. But you're kind of like this movie feels impossible to pitch for how com- uncommercial it is. Period. It feels impossible to pitch with any other two people. They're both incredibly famous movie stars who also have like weird levels of like serious actor credibility but odd cult of personality around them yeah who like really want to act and are protective of like i gotta make blockbusters true true even and though we'll, they'll do it we'll take big swings yeah and it's hard to think of two other actors who could have sold the different temperatures of this movie what if you flip them also could have worked. Also could work. That's right? the thing. Yeah. I'm like, you could gender swap them, and this would work with the same two people. Yeah, it kind of work. They're the only two people who I think could do this, and I think they it, should do a true West style. They should make the movie again with the roles flipped. See how it is. Both of these performances are phenomenal. I agree. I want to talk about them. I think it's also. I mean, I, Tilda has an incredibly varied body of work, and she's been in lots and lots of incredible movies. But Idris Elba, God bless him, who's a yeah. wonderful actor. And he's done some smaller things yeah. sprinkled in, but he does a lot of big movies that I often feel he's a little undervalued in. Like, he's, or like the, the movies undervalue him. Like, he's got this very odd movie star career where it is like this guy is undeniably an international movie star, but he so often takes things where you're like, do you not understand that you can do better than this? But well, that's, you what never you, that's really at least what we think watching him. it. You know, on the inside, he might be like, this is a big movie. This is a big role. I'm the villain. I'm the whatever. Sure. And like, I'll, you know, it's, I'm sure it's good money and I'll do it. Like, I'll do a good job. Which and we have does. this sort of Consummate feeling of like, professional. but you're Idris Elba. You kind of should just be like only headlining vehicles if, right. it, if it's a big movie. Like, you should be at the top of this stuff, not the villain in Hobbs and Shaw, which you're like totally fine in. I think he's pretty good. He's at. pretty good because he's always pretty good in this right. stuff. And like, same with like Star Trek, where you're like, why are you hiring Idris Elba to be under this makeup? You're Idris Elba. And then you'll he'll like make a movie like Beast, which I have not yet seen. Most people seem to say kind of punches above its weight class. I think there's always been this thing with him where it's just like, here's this like incredibly charismatic, skilled, absurdly handsome man, right? That people are just fascinated by. And he like blows up on the wire, but then the wire has such a long tail of people coming around to that show and watching it 10, 15 years later that he just kind of keeps on getting these bumps in fame from the original thing that broke him, if that makes sense. Yes. You know, like he's getting cast in like American Gangster as an immediate result of The Wire. And then 10 years later, he's getting new parts because people are finally coming around to The Wire. And like Luther's happening at the same time. So you're sort of like, he's got this like incredible TV career. He works in like every genre. I mean, he he does his fucking DJing. He does does his DJing. Not only did he do DJing. Didn't he then do a TV show about DJing? About DJing? A show the in the long up. run? Yes. Really? No one really. Insane. That one like, really Idris didn't. Idris is this weird. That's so weird. What does he DJ? What kind of music? 
well, I believe. Uh, let me. You know what? Let me look up for. B, yeah, B Day, B, DJ Big Driss. Big Driss. Yeah, it's yeah. like R and B stuff. You know, <laughs> Big Driss. Oh shit! I mean, I think he's been doing that. To be clear, he's been doing that the whole Forever. like that was like a side gig for him when he was yeah. making money and trying to be an actor and all that. Like the thing about him, is, he just does everything. He's an incredibly striking actor. He's yeah. very, very handsome. Yes. He has a really distinctive voice. He can yeah. do every accent. Obviously, he's when he's in the wire, yeah. you'd never think like, oh, this guy's from Hackney, London. It's, like, you know, you think like, what oh, I sure. Said, he's truly know. one of the best accent Really? Actors. He's 6'2". Yeah. He's yeah. a big guy. Like, yeah. he's genuinely imposing. He's a bouncer at Caroline's. Do you know that, Ben? No, the comedy club? Yeah. And he's given a lot of performances that I think are really good. Mm-hmm. And he's been in a lot of big movies. Yeah. So why do I think Idris Elba's career almost hasn't been big enough? Like it's sort of it's just yeah. that weird kind of thing. We were talking about Jamie Foxx the other day. Yes. And I was. It's like Jamie Foxx to me is almost like it's like Shaq or something. I yeah. Mean, I pardon the basketball reference. All right. I'll but like allow Shaquille O'Neal, the one basketball player I know who you've heard of. He won four titles. Yeah. He was. He won an MVP. He was a very. He's one of the most successful players of all time. Right. And yet everyone who c- covers that. And also basketball. one of the most famous players of all time. One of the most famous players of all time. But everyone who covers basketball and like people like Phil Jackson who coached yeah. him are like, he should have won like 10 titles. Yeah. Like, despite his massive success, everything about him, he actually should have been way more successful. And, you know, a lot of people say like, you know, but unlike a Michael Jordan type, he just wanted to have right. more fun and he wanted to do more uh, extracurricular stuff. So right. like, and the Jamie, my Jamie Foxx point right. was like, I was like, this man has an Oscar. He's like a hit musician. He's like a hit comedian. Like yeah. he's done it all. He's not unsuccessful, and yet it feels like he could do more. And like Idris Elba, sometimes and, you and feel also that way. when when one of them will come up with like a Django or a Three Thousand Years of Longing, where it's like, oh, this is a movie that's actually giving them something that can showcase all of their skills as an actor and their depth. You're like, right, of course, they've been here the whole time. Putting TV aside, putting putting like Luther in the Wire yeah. aside, obviously. Yeah. What are some of the best? Well, Idris Beast of Elba. No Nation is the one that was supposed to be his big Oscar movie. He's excellent. And then he gets movie. every other nomination and most of the wins. It's that weird year where like he wins the Globe and the SAG and doesn't get nominated for the Oscar. He didn't win the Globe. He did win the SAG. Who won the Globe? Uh, and in the SAG, I feel like Sylvester Stallone won the Globe. Okay, so it's the Three. Mark Rylance. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, that performance is excellent. Yeah, I think you know he didn't get nominated for two reasons. One, there was a it was the early Netflix thing of like that was like the first real serious we'll Netflix you. Oscar play. Yeah, and then two, that movie is incredibly grim and maybe whatever yeah, people avoided people got watching. turned off by it. Yeah. But like, it's an undeniably transfixing performance. Yeah, I guess before that, well, no, so before then he'd done obviously you know he's in stuff like. He pops up in like Rock and Rolla or American Gangster. He's very good. Obsessed. In. He's kind of obsessed. He is first build, and that movie was the movie was a hit. But he has, the, I feel like hit. he has the most boring role because he's the guy who's like, oh, I don't know he's what to do. Out, with overshadowed by the two of them, but it's almost like, okay, here you go. There's an Idris album movie, even if it was largely so on Beyonce. That was a big fucking hit, and he's the guy. But like Daddy's Little Girls, which have you seen Daddy's Little Girls? I have. I not. have. Like. He's sort of similar to Obsessed where it's like the, he's playing, I mean, in Obsessed, he he falters and he yes. cheats on his wife. Right. Right? He does cheat on her, right? Yes. Or is she just obsessed? No, in, in Obsessed, 
it's right. He doesn't cheat on her. She truly just like gets oh, wow. unrequited feelings. I, I, okay, but in Daddy's it. Little Girls, you know, it's like he's such a pillar in that movie because yes. that's the whole point. He's yeah. just this like unambiguously like wonderful man who's yeah. being besieged by circumstance, and he's good at that. It's a little one note, but, but like this is also the era of Tyler Perry movies where he's like, who are the best black actors who no one in the studio system right. is we'll going give to a lead let role. be the lead of a movie. Right, yeah. I'm going to write a movie for Taraji. I'm going to write a movie for Idris. Mm-hmm. But yes, he would often make these characters too saintly there, it, it's, or too right. cursed. And it's like one or the other. Okay. And then like, I never saw The Losers, a movie that's sort of like got forgotten. Yeah. He's with, in that. with a weirdly stacked Saldana, Chris Evans, right. Idris Elba, like five people before they find Right their, before they're, yeah. yeah. You've got Thor, which is that sort of classic MCU thing now where it's like, ah, fuck. You, you shouldn't him? have had him being yeah. Heimdall. Not that yes. he's bad, but like you could have had him later. You're like, the things you could have done with this he guy later. He could have played Mr. Fantastic for And, they, and they pretty much whatever, have to, like, know. by Ragnarok, be like, we're going to make Heimdall into a, a, the type of character we wish we had cast. Yeah, he's going to be more He's going to be in the woods heroic. sword fighting Because people. that's the thing. Him being cast as Heimdall, it's more like, well, this is a very imposing guy with a great voice who's right. stoic. You know, stoic, right? So yeah. he's perfect for the all-seeing watchman yeah. type. But it's right. like, all right, because he's the guy who watches the gate. He's got yeah. the big sword. Okay. He's essentially the bouncer at Caroline. Um, yeah, he's a bit of a bouncer at Caroline. He so watches the Rainbow Bridge. People forget he's the villain in Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance, but I remember him being pretty fun in that. He, this is the thing. I think. Anytime he does these things where you're like, Idris, why are you doing this? You watch it and you're like, he is having fun here. Prometheus, he's kind of having fun. Prometheus, he's really good. He's kind of horny. Yeah. He's got an accordion. Yeah. Uh, And then in 2013, he's in the Nelson Mandela film Long Walk to Freedom, which goes nowhere. Felt like it should have been a slam dunk for him, Oscar breakthrough, and it's just a a non-starter movie. Um, And he's in Thor The Dark World, Uh and I feel like... Right, there are, you know, in that one he at least has an action sequence, but he's still, yeah. you know, the seventh yes. lead. And he's in Pacific Rim, right? which he's great in. Yes. And that's at least Del Toro. He's not the lead lead, because Hunnam and then Rinka but Kikuchi was, are kind of the lead. But he's he's a co-lead. He And he's given the speeches. He in the, studio the apocalypse. wanted Cruz to do that. Yeah, yeah, Because right. it was right after he had been developing uh, Mounds of Badness for so long. Right. Right. And the fact that it went from Cruz to being like, I don't know, Idris Elba? Like, obviously, Idris Elba was not at that level of bankability, but they were, like, authority-wise. Yeah. But yes, this is the thing. Like, the times that he's been placed in the pole position in his own franchise, as it were, mm-hmm. doesn't work. Dark Tower doesn't work. <sighs> not for lack of trying that's on a, his All right, part. wait, I want to keep going. Sorry. No, no, but it's... All right, no good deed. That's sort of similar to Obsessed. That's yeah. kind of like a fun, trashy thriller. He's the bad guy in that right, one. Yeah, right. right. Uh, movie called Second Coming. No idea. What Truly, that never heard of that. Yeah. Uh, the Gunman. That's the Sean Penn movie. Yes. Overqualified supporting cast. Right. Beast of No Nation. You know. Yeah. It's a serious role. Yes. Really good. And then in 2016, he's in Zootopia and the Jungle Book, and it's almost getting tired to use his like imposing voice, but, but he's totally good. He fucking kills it in both of them. Um, and he's also in Finding Dory. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. So three voice Jesus. performances that he does year. three Disney. And he's the villain in Star Trek Beyond, which he's great in. He is. But it does the makeup is the thing that's kind of annoying. But then, of course, it has this thematic thing at the end where you see his human face again. You know, he's supposed to be this human who got corrupted by radiation and all that. But you you do spend most of the movie going like, shouldn't you be the lead of this? Like, yeah, yeah. And then in 2017, like, 
Look, I don't think The Dark Tower is good. Uh-huh. I'll kind of stick up for that movie because it's so bananas. It's a Never terrible adaptation of yeah. the books. In the, it, I mean, it's a disaster on that front. And it's like 90 minutes long and it feels like the studio is just like, just put this out and let's be for done sure. with it. But I think he's good and mm-hmm. he was well cast and it's mm-hmm. too bad that didn't happen for him. Mm-hmm. I think he's amazing in Molly's game. Incredible. The accent game. he's doing, it's the one time, it just because the Sorkin dialogue is yeah. so thick, you can sometimes hear his accent I kind of bending. I also heard that was one of those things where he had like two weeks to prepare for that right. movie or something. But he is fucking great in it. It's it, His big monologue he gives. I love that monologue. Is so good. And it's one of those things, it's like kind of power of acting shit where you're like, it's the one time, as you said, in his career that he cannot hold that accent down and it doesn't fucking matter. His performance is so transfixing. He is so in it emotionally that you're like, I, I don't care. Um, and then, okay, Thor, Ragnarok, Avengers Infinity War, Hobbs and Shaw. We're getting into this thing where it's like, yeah. am I only going to see you in this this right. stuff? Hobbs and Shaw, I don't know, man. He's fine. Yeah, it ju- I mean, I've just it, seen you do a villain. And at this point, it's also like his career is starting to become emblematic of like the movie star problem in general, which is like... If you haven't found if your you don't have IP, right. You don't have your distinctive thing. You're in this position where it's like, I'm picking up like third string hero roles or villain roles in other franchises where I'm going to be unimportant or only in one movie. And then like the Oscar, I haven't gotten the Oscar juice enough where I'm getting movies financed on the idea that it's a slam dunk nomination every time. There's cats. We can't forget cats. He was McCavity. Someone tweeted popping in and out of existence. Something last week about like uh, uh, Tom Hooper and George Miller being the only two directors brave enough to cast uh, uh, Idris Elba as uh, shape shifting magical tricksters without genitals. Yes. Does he not have genitals? It doesn't look like it in this film. Yeah. But but also they make love. Yeah. He might. They might just but pop it seems up. Seems like some with point. smoke. Well, that sounds fun. It yeah. does. Sounds different. Of late. Yes. Like he did Concrete Cowboy, he did The Heart of a Fall, he did Beast this year, and obviously this. I think he did a Luther movie. Yes. Like it feels like he's leaning more into like slightly more interesting projects. Obviously, he did sensitive and textured work as Knuckles the Echidna and Satanic the Hedgehog too. I thought he was excellent in that film, (laughs) genuinely. Yeah. He was really funny. Um, And he did do Suicide Squad. Which is another franchise movie. He's He's phenomenal. But it's another one where you're like, okay, this feels like you finally built a perfect Idris Elba vehicle. And then the movie doesn't do that well. I mean, the movie, I think that movie works. Like, I think it's a good movie, but it's not a hit. Commercially. There's probably a world where that movie would have been more of a commercial hit. It was, that's one of the biggest pandemic. Good in it. And James Gunn, I feel like, was the first person to really kind of figure out how to use his emotional depths in uh, a blockbuster. Yeah, he's got a daughter or whatever. Like, there's some there's, there's some real emotion, yeah, emotional yeah. stuff there. Yeah. Um, but this movie, he comes out of this bottle, and I immediately, from the first line he says, go, I believe this guy is 3,000 years old. Mm. It mm. is that ineffable thing. Yeah, it's like undefinable, and I don't even feel like it's like, well, I did the prep work to try to... I'm like, it's just you have the command or you don't. When Idris Elba says shit, you believe it, right? Absolutely. You absolutely not a lot of actors. Who, there are some actors who can pull that off, but it's it's not a long list. But he just truly, from that first moment, I'm like, you have the weight 
the presence, the authority, the intelligence, the, the pain. Hotness. I look in your fucking eyes. He's hot. Hotness. But I'm hot. like, I look in your fucking eyes and I'm like, I believe this guy has spent a thousand years in a bottle talking to no one. Now, how often have we talked about Tilda? Have we ever talked about her on the main feed? Obviously, we talked about like Doctor Strange on the Patreon or whatever. Think, have we not covered a Tilda movie before? I think the only instance I can really remember is just like shouting out how incredible she is in um, Michael Clayton. Exactly. Yeah. Obviously, she. I recently rewatched The Boss. Just One of the I like coolest to do that. Oscar wins ever. We talk about that, obviously. Um, no, I guess we've never talked about a Tilda movie. Wow. Mm -hmm. Huh. Yeah. Okay. I think I, like a lot of people, was first really aware of her. Into she'd obviously had already done the Derek Jarman movies sure. and Orlando and had her whole amazing nineties like art yeah. movie run, but I was too young for that. But when I'm like a teen and I'm a little Oscar boy, and yep. I, and she is in the beach, oh sure, in a, in a fun weird role. But I think I didn't really clock that. But the deep end was this That's sort of like I never even saw undersung. That movie. Oh, it's a good movie. Um, but this like undersung. Oscar contender. She kind of came close to a nomination for it. Sort it sort of felt like she was sixth or seventh that year in like a little movie that could kind of way. And that immediately, that was when I took notice of her name. She's obviously got a very distinctive name and a very distinctive look. Yeah. And then right after that, she starts showing up in smaller parts in bigger Oscar-y movies like Adaptation. Um, That's right. It's like, oh, clearly that movie was the calling Vanilla card. Vanilla Sky for Adaptation. Get. Exactly. Young Adam, that's a bigger role. Oh, so Vanilla Broken Sky is the flowers. one we've covered. That's right. She is in Vanilla Sky. Not yeah. a big role. No. But yes, this this run of now she's working with like American auteurs, big stars, supporting roles. Broken Flower, she's in for like five seconds. That's yeah. a movie I saw once. Yeah. I was I saw it at the AMC Lincoln Square because I was on vacation in oh. New York. What? Because I lived in Britain. And too tired to do the bit today. Yeah, fair enough. And um, I saw it like front row. Yeah. Or like I remember I just like I didn't have good seats. I was amped. I was amped too. And I remember thinking it was like pretty good. And I haven't thought about it much since. since. Is she one of the exes? My memory is that she yes, is. She is one of the absolutely exes. one of the exes. She. she My memory is that she literally opens a door. Yeah, she punches him. Or, or she Larry gets guys Fessenden. to punch him. Yeah, the yeah, great yeah. Larry Fessenden, scary Larry Fessenden, horror filmmaker, head of Glass Eye Picks, plays like her redneck boyfriend. Yeah, biker boyfriend. Right. Yeah. He like cold cocks Bill Murray. Yes. She like opens the door. She goes like, what the fuck are you doing here? I remember she, in my memory, she has like one line, Larry Fessenden cold cocks and Bill Murray wakes up with a black eye. She's like not in the movie. Fair enough. But maybe I'm wrong and she has more. She in did it. make the poster, but that was sort of That's the That's why of I the remember poster. being like, here we go, Tilda, final X. And then they like don't do anything with her. But yes, she's she's in the rotation at this point. And then I guess then she has in the mid two thousands, Hollywood is like be the villain, be a villain in Constantine, which she's incredible in, which she's wonderful and she plays the Archangel Gabriel. Yeah, um, be the White Witch in the Narnia movie. Perfect casting, very impressive and performance it's, it's, in a franchise that never got to be S tier. But but still. it's also one of those things where it was like. Disney's making a Narnia movie. They want Nicole Kidman to do it. And you were like, obvious, obvious, Nicole obvious Kidman casting. was like the number one choice for every one of those fucking yes. things in the 2000s. Right, ends yes. up doing Golden Compass instead, yes. right, a couple years later. But like, passes on Narnia. They offer it to Tilda. And you're like, 
huh, that's kind of cool She's good that, that they actually went with Tilda, who has not been like a name person in movies of this size. And then that first movie is such a surprising, ginormous blockbuster. That I do think it surprisingly Coasting gets her some, and, and she's and really good in it. She's good in all three. I mean, she's barely in the other two, yeah, but she's but in like, them all. But it gets her a little bit of bankability, surprisingly. And then she is in Burn After Reading, and my, well, she's in Michael Clayton, and she wins an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. Right. And it's one of those things where you're like, cool nomination for a great actor who's always been good, doing really skilled work, the kind of unshowy performance that the Oscars are never going to give the trophy to. Right. And that very odd year where it was like Blanchett versus Amy Ryan, both giving excellent performances, but much showier performances. And it was back and forth. The two of them were winning every other award. Tilda fucking slips through and wins. I mean, having just rewatched Michael Clayton, which I've seen many times. Yeah. It's like, that whole movie, obviously, she's in the first, basically, the first scene of the movie. It's like, her you're practicing. seeing her in the, yeah. yeah that and amazing. like, she's peppered in through all those scenes are great. Yeah. But that whole movie is you waiting for the hammer blow scene of Clayton f- outfoxing her. Yes. And they, that scene is just such an unbelievable scene. It's incredible. And they're both, I mean, Clooney and her are both just like, Fucking guns of Navarone, but just like oh, absolutely yeah. detonating. But it's also but the incredible quiet, thing, you know, incredible yeah. thing where it's and like, her face, the way it changes. What, what is arguably Tilda's Oscar moment? The it's mo- her falling down out of focus, which happens out of focus in the in background the of a shot, and you're like, that just won her the Oscar. I mean, I watched that movie with Forky, and Forky was like, "Why are we watching this?" You know, slightly grim. Happens every time I try to convince someone to watch Michael Clayton. Right. Like, you know, like movie about. And I'm like, see, so what he is, is he is a lawyer, but he's, you know, not really like a trial lawyer. He's like, you know, kind of a fixer guy. He had these failed dreams. He tried to get out, but the restaurant didn't work because his brother can't get up his own And again, Forky's just like, yeah, sure. This seems like a seven out of ten. Like, you know. Fine. And then I'm just like, just sit Let it go. But people who saw Michael Clayton came out of that being like, good movie. Yeah. And then two years later, we're like best movie we have had no idea how good we had it um and then since the oscar win Mm -hmm. i would say she's had one of the most interesting and exciting careers an actor could have agreed i am love which is surprise art house crossover success a little bit she starts to become this like champion like saint of I, I feel like uh, uh, middle-aged women. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, but but I think that movie crossed over in a much bigger way, and it was like, oh, like women really want to see a Tilda Swinton erotic drama. Yeah, right. Oh, it's an erotic drama. Oh yeah, yeah it's got some sex. It's wow. Luca Guadagnino who then does uh, Call Me by Your Name and Suspiria yeah. with her. But there's also this whole thing. She has this interesting marriage structure. She lives this very free life. She she'll do like fucking mom installations where she like sleeps in a box. That's what I'm waiting yeah, for us to get to. That's when I'm like, okay, this lady, I can fuck with this lady. She was like, she's different. She's sleeping and making and living in a box and yeah. making that into an art installation. That's cool as hell. She's doing her own film festivals where she was like, I don't like all these other film festivals that are about like free gifting suites and stuff we're gonna have a film festival it's just a bunch of beanbag chairs and we watch movies <laughs> here's some other movies she's movies are good let's just talk about movies we need to talk about kevin she's really good in that phenomenal performance once again comes very close to the oscar moonrise argument. kingdom playing social services i think she's so funny in that movie all of her fucking west performance. her west drop-ins are always good yeah. only lovers left alive a phenomenal unbelievable performance in a performance. great movie yes has amazing chemistry with hiddleston yeah 
Great movie. Snowpiercer, so funny and weird oh, in that movie, playing yeah. like mutant Margaret Thatcher. Right. So good. Grand Budapest Hotel, you know, another yeah. bigger splash. Like giving an almost silent performance as a singer whose voice is gone. Right. Fucking incredible. Have you seen Bigger Splash? No. Love it. You gotta take the dive. Another Luca. This is the other thing. And she's like, I don't know, maybe I'll do a supporting role in Trainwreck that's funny. Maybe I'll be in Doctor Strange and no one will object to that. Yeah, no one. Uh, Hail Caesar, I'll play dual roles as like dueling gossip columnists. Isn't she dual roles in Okja as well? Or am I misremembering? Yes, she plays sisters in Okja as well. This is the other thing. You look at Director Muse. Like she's like, She's got four or five different really top-level directors who use her multiple times. Where every time they're like, we're going to use Tilda. The Coen brothers are going to come back to Tilda. Luke is going to come back to Tilda. Wes is going to come back to Tilda. You know? Jarmusch, like, she's collecting really good collaborators. Um, and she kills it every time. Yeah, man. Like, Okja, as, as you mentioned. Isle of Dogs, she's a voice. Suspiria, she's incredible. Three yes. roles in that one. Uh Pops into Avengers Endgame. Why not? Yeah. Dead Don't Die. I think she's funny in that. David Copperfield, she's completely delightful in that, if anyone ever, you know, has ever seen it. Then The Souvenir, heartbreaking, incredible performance. Yes. Playing her, you know, alongside. Both of those, yeah. Uh, Uncut Gems, she's on the phone. Don't forget. I did forget if I ever knew. Yeah, she's on the phone. Uh, the, she's the auctioneer on the phone. That's um, You know, Souvenir Part 2, French Dispatch, she's fucking hilarious mm-hmm. in. The bit where she... Like does like a slideshow of a naked picture of Incredible. herself. It's so funny. Yeah. And then Memoria. Yeah. It's just an absolutely. T- have you seen Memoria? I still haven't. All right, seen. you got to see Memoria. And then this. I'm just saying, like, I don't know that there are a lot of actors with runs like that no. last 15 years. No. Especially no. when you consider that she's this like, you know, elfin fucking. How old is she these days? You know, uh, in her 50s, right? Oh, she's 61. Yeah. 61 year old, sort of late in life, quasi star. I'd say star. I'd say unqualified. Just incredible. But who'll do a ton of supporting stuff, you know. But then when she gives a big, meaty role, she's so incredibly transfixing. And I also think she gets movies financed. I think she's so big can get a small movie overseas yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. that she can get very esoteric movies financed. She can find, you know, foreign directors, independent directors. And then she builds relationships with them that pay off over years and years and years, you know? I don't know if this is necessarily like one to one, but we've talked about Buscemi as yeah. somebody who is so no, that's a good call. Especially right? Buscemi yeah. has a similar kind of run in the '90s and 2000s or whatever. Right? Yeah, yeah, but I feel like Tilda and him are, are kind of similar career wise yeah. and complexion wise. Well, true. She also just she has the the healthy kind of cult of personality around her. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, people are kind of fascinated with her and delighted by her in a way that is not bad. But I do, it adds the, the weird mystique of her. Yeah. Um, this is what I'm saying, though. It's like, d- who else gets this movie financed and is right for it? I can't think I of anyone. Know. I don't know. I don't, and I don't want to know. I don't want to know. She's coming up. She's got another Joanna Hogg movie. Great. She's got, uh, she's uh, the Blue Fairy in Pinocchio. Uh, the Del Toro, the Del Toro one. Okay. Um, she's in the new West. She's is in the new West. City? And yeah. she's in the new Fincher. This is, I mean. Damn. Which, you know what the Fincher is about? It's about a guy who kills people. Guess what his name is? The Killer. The Killer. Whoa. 10 out of 10. Guess what the movie's called? The Killer. The Killer. Perfect. <laughs> I love how Fincher's like, Mank, do you like Mank? And most people are like, eh. And he's know. like, fine. Fucking Michael Fassbender as The Killer. Great. People are like, <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes, it sounds exciting. 
amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. So you, you start this movie with her narration mm. saying this really happened to me, but I'm going to tell it in the form of a fairy tale because it's easier for people to digest that way. So he's almost sort of like sewing his heightened George Miller style into the movie from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is true. This is not allegorical. I don't view this movie as a life of pie type thing where it's like I'm telling you a story in a heightened form so you can understand the lessons of it. Yeah. I think this is all meant to be taken literally. Yeah. Is flying around the world giving boring TED Talks. Goes to one of these markets. I, I like that, that scene a lot. I love that scene. I love that line where she's like there's 79 streets in Istanbul and 4,000 mm. shops. Mm. And in one of those shops, there's three rooms. In the back room, I found a thing. And I just like, I don't know, I guess because like the, the movie knows how important it has to be for her to, it can't just be her being like, ah, and I'll take this thing too. Right. You know, the guy is almost like, you don't want this thing. It's right. not that good. But I love all the chance of, of all right, the stores. Exactly. You yeah. find the thing. You're, they're trying to upsell her. And it's like, there's something about, about this little bottle. It calls to her. Yeah. Exactly. And, and the, she, this contrast of the mundanity of like, you know, this very nice, but like very modern, clean hotel room. She's there with her electric toothbrush trying to clean off this artifact from a marketplace and out comes a man with gold fingers and scaly legs. Yes. Pointy ears. Yep. He's a gin. Is he, he ever a proper name? He's, no, is he's he just the, the gin. He's cool. the gin. Uh, the djinn of myth, uh, you know, uh, the invisible creatures in pre-Islamic Arabian religious systems that then got carried over to Islamic mythology, mm -hmm. and uh, they're not a strictly Islamic concept. For, is that you know for that reason they kind of have some pagan beliefs, you know, swirling around in them. Sure, and I think in classic mythology they're like shape changers. They're like invisible shape changers uh -huh. that can appear as all kinds of animals, okay, but as humans, and that th they have sex with humans and they progress. They make offspring and, and stuff. This gen has sex with humans, certainly. I mean, I'd have sex with them. I would too. Yes, same. Um, but um, like, I don't think it is necessarily always like three wishes. You know, like that. That yes. is sort of you know specific to certain tales or whatever. That is not a. There's this element inherent. too, which is very important to the film of like a lot of genius. It's it's the sense of like I was tricked, I was trapped, right? Which happens to him. It's how he ends up in the bottle for too long. But like my entire existence as a genie is one of of sort of indentured servitude right yes like uh, you know the, the whole thing with aladdin where it's like freeing the genie is is the happiest ending you can give this movie that he doesn't have to be a fucking genie anymore this gin it's like his whole thing is on an emotional level his entire existence is about being able to make people happy right yeah it's this idea of like this man who too selflessly loves and gets hurt in the process. Yeah, he's a sensitive soul. Yeah. 
he's very emotionally bound up in the relationships he yes. gets sucked into yes. by being a djinn. And it's it's about truly wanting to fulfill people's greatest desires. Right. Because like not just having to. There is the sort of classic whatever Aladdin influence like yeah. concept of like the genie is like a concierge and you are the client and you're just like And it's hey. kind of a curse on this weird creature. Right. And and then, like, you know, there's a, uh, what's it called? You know, the comic book Fables. Uh, have uh-huh. you ever, do you ever read that? Yeah, I've, yes. I've not read all of it. Um, I started, and it's one of many comics I should have finished and never did. By Bill Willingham. It, yeah. Which, which that has this fun thing where, like, at one point, uh, Fables is set in a world where, like, any fairy tale is real. Okay. All of them. And, like, most of the fairy tale creatures live in, like, a big apartment building in Manhattan. <laughs> and these guys come from the Middle East, and, like, they they have a genie in a bottle. And everyone is really freaked out because they're like, that's like a nuclear weapon. It can yeah. do anything. Don't like, do we it. have to deal with this. This is like, it's like unlimited power bound within the specifics of wishing and all that. But still, um, here it's a little more like you get this weird friend. Yeah. And he's your companion now. And you guys got to figure out together what it is you want to do in your life. Yeah. And he's going to try and help you. But there is this like, because it's stories and he's telling stories, it's like it's gonna get tinged with tragedy and pathos and like ironic, you know, right? Like, you know, like that's what she identifies in me. Like, I study stories for a living. They all they have some message to send, all some moral. Tips. Yes, exactly. Everyone, there's some ironic fucking Twilight Zone twist. I'm gonna get hoisted by my own petard. The hubris of the wish. She's like, the only good wish is no wish. Don't make me wish. What would you guys do? Oh shit! <laughs> yes, I thought so much about this. I'm sure. I don't. I don't. I don't well, I. All right. I initially was going in pretty confident. Like, pff, I would wish the best. My wishes wouldn't be bad. They would turn out good. <laughs> right? Yeah, of course. But you know, the more you start to like question the logic, there, yeah. it's like it could actually go pretty dark. So I'll, I'll say number one thing for me is I want to be able to, like, travel at the speed of light. You want to be able to travel at the speed so of light. So I can just light. go anywhere I want at any moment. Okay, just like, but, psh, can I ask you a question? Want to enter the speed force? Yeah. Is it a thing where you go, like, you have to run? It's not teleportation. It's kind of, but it's just like, because light well, like, move say, fast. No, I know. But do you want to have to go through the physical That's motion? That's what I'm saying. Of oh. moving, like just if doing I'm like, it at I a rapid. I can travel at the speed of light. I want to go to Istanbul. Do I have to physically run, move my body through space, or can I just zap there? Are you the Flash or are you Nightcrawler? Is the question. I would like to bamf. Is that Nightcrawler? Yeah, yeah where you just go like. Poof. Yeah, poof. And you go. Okay, poof. So you don't tele- poof. You go. Instant, puff, essentially, puff. instantaneous movement is yes. one of your things. Yes. Yeah. Cool. That is pretty cool. Because I feel like also that's for me. It's yeah. not pushing my shit onto the world or onto other people. Like I just I want to be able to experience things instantaneously. Can you imagine how frustrated you guys would be if I had teleportation powers and I was still late? <laughs> that <laughs> David would happen. Would, <laughs> that would, would happen. That's why I said. Yeah, that would happen. You would be late. <laughs> I mean, I'd be like, hey, I'm sorry, I took a while to be i just i just delayed doing it uh, uh, do you have your other two wishes ben and then wishing ben wishful ben yeah um part of me was like maybe i could like breathe underwater in space 
but breathe then, underwater. Like the, so you mean like so I could go through space, but I feel like that would get boring. You want perfect yeah, lungs? There's not a lot because space. I could, even if I could space travel the speed of light. Yeah, you know what I mean. If I get really out there, like I don't know all of the the logistics with that. Sure. So I don't know. What about you guys? Give me some. Give me some of your wishes. I don't know. I do. I do watch this movie and go. I have no idea what I would wish for. Me too. That's exactly what? why I asked. I don't know what I'd wish for. Because of the the way this movie actually sets up a dialogue with the notion of wishing. Okay, all right, here. I'll throw out another one then. I wish that I could experience another point of view perspective, essentially live in someone else's shoes, another thing's shoes, for an hour. Uh, anytime I want. That's a cool... Like, I want to be that. a squirrel. I'm a squirrel now. But I still have my thoughts Pretty and stuff. Pretty small shoes. But I could, like, go and collect nuts and have fun being a squirrel. Can you get out? If it's one hour, you get one hour. But can you like say you go into squirrel in five minutes and you're like, all right, I get it, I want to leave. Is it or are always, you stuck for an hour? Is an hour the maximum or is it also the minimum? <laughs> you're right. Mm, you're right. Well, because <laughs> I feel like with genie stuff, it's tricky, right? So it's like yep. I, it probably it's like an hour on the clock. But now here's the thing: what if I get eaten? Yeah, I don't know. Fuck. What if you tell me Fuck. what happens? <laughs> Wait, all right. Shit. You're just being a squirrel and then like an osprey devours Damn. you. All right. All right. This is why Fuck. we pull it back Fuck. on our wishes. I'm top of the food chain then. All right. I'm a lion. Oh, the poachers. <laughs> what Damn does it. this mean? Damn it. Better hope you don't mean it yourself. <laughs> I'm now I he's the one guy who can stop I'm lions. just picturing a genie being like, it's like trying to write all this down and being like, I'm sorry, you're a li- I don't understand right. what you're trying to tell me here. There's the classic thing where they say, like, you can't wish for more wishes, right? Mm-hmm. Can you wish for more genies? Oh. Has anyone ever exploited this loophole before? This genie is, says you only get three wishes. Can't this wish is for 100% more wishes. where the genie's like, oh, you're one of those people. You're one of those oh, fucking okay. people. And no, like, yeah, I wish for 10 that. genies. <laughs> <laughs> or what if he's like, fine. And then he's like, ah! And then, like, genies start to, like, emerge from his chest. It's like Freddy's or, chest like, of souls. It's like body horror. Yeah. And each genie kills the last genie. Yeah. They would be something like that. Yeah. You have to watch the genies. Yeah. So you, you, you yeah. get 10 dead genies in your yeah. room and then there's one. And he's like, all right, here I am. Right. I mean, that's the final genie you go like, obviously, my last wish, clean up all these dead genie bodies. <laughs> right. Get these out of here. He's like, I agree. I love even just it's such a George Miller thing. But this movie is like the physiology of the genie. Mm-hmm. There's the sort of arc of what they say, what it's like. The, the powder and then the gas and then the electromagnetic energy. Right. I'm getting the order wrong. And then the formation of the organs. Like, this movie actually has an internal logic to, like, how does smoke coming out of a, a bottle form into an organism right. that breathes? Yes. Let's walk through the, the stories he tells. Um, so... As he's like, let me give you some wishes. She's like, well, tell me about the other times you got ended up trapped in this bottle. Yeah. First time, the Queen of Sheba, his cousin yeah. and girlfriend, yeah. the famous figure from the Old Testament. Uh, who I heard she was beautiful. No, she was beauty herself. Right. Uh, is it's played self. very strikingly by Amito Lagoom is the name of the actress. She's a Ugandan actress and model. Uh-huh. Uh, she just looks absolutely outrageously cool. Yeah. Um, and she's got the hairiest legs. She's got genie legs. Like horse Like pony legs. legs. Yeah. Yeah. She's being wooed by King Solomon, as is, uh-huh. as is uh, part of her legend. Right. He's like, but it, some of it's not true. Right. That he uh, wooed her rather than her wooing him. Exactly. So he's like really uh, trying to 
uh, win her over. There's this incredible sequence where he like plays music for her, and then animals come out. Motherfucking right? guitar plays itself. Yes, Instrument's got it, little right. arms. Yes, and okay. a mouth at the top that starts singing. Dude, all of a sudden, yeah, it's like the guitar starts playing. Yeah, but then other elements of the chair he's sitting in starts to play, and he becomes a one man band. I have no idea how to verbalize this. Uh huh. I was like a child. And you read like Jusso stories or like Arabian Nights or these sort of stories that have sure, these sure, sure. elements of magical realism where logic is kind of slippery and things like that are very just tossed off, right? He had an instrument with arms that played itself. And as a kid, you're like, what the fuck? Anytime I've seen someone try to put something like that in a movie, it feels like an effect, an idea, a shot. And then this is like the one movie I've seen where I'm like, this is how this stuff feels in my mind's eye. Somehow this all feels hmm. weirdly kind of organic, despite it being a very heightened, stylized film. That's a good compliment. But it also speaks to why this movie is, like, so in- insanely expensive for how esoteric it is. Because there's a version of this film you could easily see someone doing where you're like, okay, half of it takes place in a hotel room with two actors. Sure. That is relatively cheap to shoot. And then everything that takes place in their stories, we shoot, like, in a more stylized theatrical style rather than going for any sort of detail. But it feels very old Hollywood, right? Yes. Like these big sets with big costumes, yes. very stately yes. characters kind of just like in the background looking cool, arranged. Seeing, like there's a version of this movie that where I could see the stories feeling more like the Joel Cohen Macbeth where you're like, mm. you found a very... Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Impressionistic, minimalistic style to represent otherworldliness. Yes. And George Miller was like, no, I'm going to make this like Cleopatra. Yeah, that's what he's doing. He's doing the opposite, right? Cause like, right? And I feel like with Macbeth also, it's like, there's the whole theme of like, they're all fighting over nothing. Like, it's right. cool that it's minimal because it's sort of like, yeah. what is this shit anyway? It's all about the contrast. Because anytime you cut from the, just the level of ornate sort of world building in these stories back to the hotel room, with its sort of like flat white lighting. That white lighting was getting to me. Yeah. But like, unlike Mad Max, Mad Max Fury Road. Great movie. It's all movement. No one's ever slowing down and having a conversation. Correct. Everything in this movie, as sumptuous as it gets, yeah. is people having conversations or, you know, these sort of like recollected memories that are basically like montage. Like you don't really see the dialogue no. even. You just kind of Within like... Within the stories. Right. And right? they're all so thoroughly Idris is telling from his perspective and his experience and he is the voice. And with the Queen of Sheba thing, it's like he's kind of lurking. He's hiding. He's peeking. He's yes. watching this play out. And he's like, well, she's not going to go for him. Like, you know, and like she's sort of watching them, right? Like, that, that's really yeah. all there is to it with the yeah. Queen of Sheba. Cause like he, eventually the idea is Solomon bottles him up as a way to get him out of the way. It, it's one of those things where it's like, he's like, I, I give my love so thoroughly and selflessly to this person. Surely that cannot be betrayed. Right. right? It is the first time he understands that he can be hurt by loving right. people. Through um, loving people. And then he's in a bottle for thousands of years. Yeah. Because he gets picked up by Gulten, mm-hmm. who is a concubine in the palace of Suleiman the Magnificent, who mm-hmm. was, uh, you know, the uh, sultan of the Ottoman Empire in mm-hmm. the 16th century. So it's it's a long time later. And she wants classic genie wish. She wants to fall in love with someone. Yeah. She has a crush. Yeah. 
on Mustafa, his son. Mm -hmm. But like this puts forward something that I'd never really thought about before, Mm -hmm. but I really liked, which is like, what if you die before you're done with doing wishes? Yeah. Right. Like, you know, and then like the genie's just fucked. He's just kind of like turns into a ghost who's just hanging out, waiting for someone to pick him up. That's cool. Right. Right. She gets pregnant with his child. Yes. But it's like, yeah, but the the court's not going to recognize her. Yes. They don't want this child to be the heir to the throne. Like right. this doesn't the mere fact that he fell in love with you does not change everything. Right. Right. I right, mean right, it's right. so much of yes, what right. this movie is sort of talking about is like what what is the impact of love? Mm-hmm. Why do we love? Why do we want it? What can it change in our lives? What can it not? Um, Mustafa, of course, is a real figure that's a real person who was Mm -hmm. executed by his dad because his dad saw him as a threat. Sure. Because he was a very popular warrior and so on and so forth. Um, Weird times. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Gruesome death, too. Yes. He's played by Matteo Bocelli. Okay. The son of Andrea Bocelli. Really? Yeah. You know, that guy. I thought he was in the room with us for a second. <laughs> it's Andrea. <laughs> Hello. Do you think that's what he's like? Yeah. Can I have a tuna melt? That's what he's like at a restaurant. I asked for waffle fries. <laughs> Sparkling, not still. <laughs> um, what else is there about this? Because I feel like... Well, this has the the section of uh, auditioning the different storytellers, doesn't it? That sounds right. In the, Again, in the, I saw this movie a month well, yeah, ago. Yeah, the third story is about the... Well, we're still in the second story, because th- this is also where you have the harem, right? Yes, the yes. crazy harem. Oh, I thought that was in the third and final st- uh, no, folktale. Because fi- the final story is, you know, the girl in the tower, in the, you know, the Zephyr. There's sort of three sections. It's like Queen of Sheba, and yeah. then it's like the Ottoman Empire section, which is like... The death of Mustafa. Gulton gets pregnant and runs away. The story stop and start. Also, let's mention yeah, because they're cutting back right. to them. Yeah. But like, and of course, there is a little sprinkling of Tilda Swinton's character's background as well. Okay, in her right. boarding school, you yeah. know, like being oh, a well, sort this of is really. But I think that's such an important piece. It is, you know, of at the beginning of the film when she tells the the story about creating the fictional character that's her friend at the at the boarding school, who's represented as like illustrations. Yes. Like he looks like he's literally ripped out of pages. Oh, yeah, yeah. But that she like narrativized a character of a friend beyond just being an imaginary friend, but it was like a way for her to develop her abilities as a writer and as a storyteller, but also creating a sort of fully fleshed person to be her companion. And the more details and the more world building, the less and less she believed. Yes. And the more and I think she says like at some point she just felt silly and gave it up. Right. Um, to speak to my confusion, it's when he becomes invisible, when she can't make this two wishes, he stays yes. in that world he gets, for like a hundred years yes. as a ghost. He's yes. intangible and he's just, the bottle is hidden and he's just like, anyone want to find it? It's under a flagstone, yeah. you know? I love the first time also with Shiva, they, they throw him out of the window mm-hmm. and he ends up over centuries or whatever in a cobblestone in yes. a wall and she finds him by accident or whatever right. i love that and that's always that's like true of every it's like he gets found again by chance every time right. it's every like a time. weird yes rube goldberg-y series of coincidences sure. yeah um so yes you're right eventually um 
you've got Ibrahim, the next uh, another sultan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, who's looking for an heir, right? Right. That's when he's like, "What am I going to do about this?" Um, and another concubine. But I feel like the, the concubine finding him is not even that important. Because she doesn't even want to deal with him. She doesn't even want to. And she throws him in the sea eventually. No, they so badly need an heir that they, like, lock this son in a room walled with mink. Well, so. And, like, 15 women. And are just like, just stay in there until you give us a fucking heir. I mean, we're, we're getting it mixed up. And it's, like, not that important. Really, I just, like, we'll say, like, the Ottoman section, it's, like, there's two sons. There's the bloodthirsty one, yes. and yes. then there's the one that is so just baby that he's literally a baby. He yeah. becomes he's in a, a baby. A right. room yeah. of like just like um, yeah, that's, concubines and these like mink lined yes. walls. That's Ibrahim. Ibrahim is the one who gets locked in the harem essentially right. and just lit. Right. And then it's uh, his. So his dad, I guess, is Ahmed, maybe. And like. Yeah, I think that's right. And then, right. And he's got the brother who is like a crazy warrior. Mm-hmm. But so really what this part is just entailing t- to us is that he gets this close to getting discovered. Yeah. Right. Hoping that he will then be uh, let out finally, yeah. being able to give him a wish. Instead, a concubine finds him and she just kind of throws him into the ocean. And yeah. again, this is right. all. She's like, I wish you'd get out of my fucking face. This yeah. is all real, quote unquote, in that, like, that's a real person. Sure. And he truly did apparently love fur so much that he, like, wanted to just live in, like, a fur lined room. It looks gross. And he was obsessed with overweight women. Uh huh. And they would be like provided for him, yeah. you know. I mean, it's not, you know. And so, like, he just spent all his time in like total sort of like extravagant luxury, just sitting in his furs with his many concubines mm-hmm. and his harem of. Women. Whereas the older son, he comes back from war and he's just like totally ruined, right? Broken. That's when the storytellers come into play. Yes, right. When he's right. holding court and they're auditioning basically people to amuse him. But it's but it's essentially like right. This guy is so despondent and broken from his experiences that he's like, I need someone who can distract me from the reality. They, once again, this like why why do we fucking tell stories? Why do we need stories? Why do we hear stories? Mm-hmm. I need someone to help me make sense of my my broken sort of sense of reality now. Right. And if he doesn't like their uh, storytelling, puts him out in a little paddle boat, shoots an arrow. It's it's very high stakes. Yeah, but it's also like if you found the jinn and rich wished for power. Yeah. It's sort of like this it's like what would you get? You would get like to be a part of this palace intrigue where you're constantly looking over your back anyway and you're surrounded by crazy, you know, warriors and, or you know, right like it's like there's nothing at the top anyway cuz like the first concubine who finds him, she's like I want to I'm in love with that guy. Right. Make it happen. And he's like okay. And then the second one He's like, please, please make a wish. And she's like, ah, go back in your bottle. Like, you know, like she doesn't even want to deal with him because it's like, when are you going to, you know. I think she goes, I wish you were back in your bottle. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then he gets cast into the sea or whatever. Um, Can you just imagine how fucking annoying that is? You're a genie and you're like, here we go. Ready. Been waiting a fucking thousand years. Ready, ready to grant some wishes, and it's like my wish. Go back to your fucking bottle. Go get your goddamn shine, box. Your shine don't, box. Don't grant any In, goddamn. He wishes. actually should say, "Do you have any wishes?" Uh, just to be clear, except for wishing me back into the bottle, which That's I'm not the into. one. W- there's literally do one that. wish I hate so much. Please don't make it. Yes. Yeah. But no. And so then he is locked in the bottle, 
and he's recovered in the mid 19th century uh, and given to this wife of a Turkish merchant named mm-hmm. Zafir. And she's like, all right, baby, I want to learn. Like, I want to be, you know, th- I want to be smart. I want to, like, gain all the world's knowledge and Which art. Which is a cool wish. Much better. Much better wish. Much better. Yeah. And so he's just like, great. You ever read Oliver Twist? It's a page turner. <laughs> Start there. <laughs> then, I don't know, you know, the Quran. That one's good. Yeah. <laughs> he's just kind of, like, getting books, right? Yeah. Lady Chatterley's lover. This one's spicy. Yeah. He's giving her books. And then she's, and then they're like, I mean, that this is like maybe my favorite part. This whole dynamic is maybe my favorite part of the, well, no, the ending is kind of my favorite part of the movie. We'll, we'll talk through this. No, I, but, but right, like, like the idea of the genie, and what do you call the, the, the person in charge of a genie? Because master is kind of like a yeah. you know, weird loaded word at this That's point. That's what they do in Aladdin, right? That's yeah, well, Aladdin you know, was. Aladdin. No, no, I know this is different. No, I know. Yeah. But like, that of course that relationship would be emotionally fraught yes. and intense and possibly romantic, but also it's like in a world where the genie snaps his fingers and you're the smartest person in the right. world, then sure, yeah, the genie is just like nothing but a computer program who helps right. you. But like in a world where learning is you and the genie, you know, pouring over things together and learning things together and like, you know, like then it's it's just so romantic. And so the whole problem with this guy is problem, I say, but like his his issue is that he cares too much and too deeply. Right. And but how else could he be a genie? Of course. And that's why it's such a cool dynamic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And she's great, that actress. Again, I don't know. She's a Turkish actress. I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher her name. Burku Golgadar. Golgadar. Okay. But I'm sure I'm getting that yeah. wrong. Uh, Golgadar. But uh, isn't she... She's such a uh, firecracker. Yes. I yes. love her. Yes. Ooh, oh, I should read this article. 20-year quest. He's been he's been trying to make this movie for 20 this years. This is what I'm saying. He optioned this book, the story, a long time ago. In like Probably in the early 90s, right? Yeah. He describes it as the opposite of Fury Road. That's, I mean, it, it is. Yeah. But it is, it's just the scale is still there. The magic is still there. Like the sequence with the giant bodies, you know, yeah. is very Mad Maxi. Yes. Don't you think, you know, like, yes. uh, like, and just the exaggeration of almost every like costume and like the hairy legs from like, he can't help but be inventive. No. There'd no. be a way to do this in a more like boring kind of staid you know, traditional Absolutely. costume. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The royalty is really dysfunctional and messed up. Yeah. In this movie, similar to well, he, Mad like, Max. hates rulers. Yeah. Right? Like, he, he hates power systems. Right, yes. He He's hates deeply the people skeptical who place themselves like, at the Those top are always going to be rotten. Yes. Right. They're, and these, they're rotten and yeah. grotesque. Yes, yes. Yeah. Even just, I feel like, the, the size stuff with Idris at the beginning, he eventually shrinks down. But I feel like it's so well done. It is really well done. I yeah, think the CGI is really good. I, yeah. I've seen yeah. complaints about it being junky, and I almost want to watch it again. Not junky throughout, but like having and like there's a couple awkward moments. I think it's painterly too. I mean, you're like getting into like artistic style. You know, he's telling you fairy tales. I agree. I agree. Right. I'm like, what do you want this to look like? Yeah. Should we just maybe say with this last story? I think it leads into the end of the movie well in that he Idris falls in love with this girl, yes. this woman. Yes. Well which, with Zafir, you mean? Or do you mean with Tilda's character? Well no, first Zafir. with Zafir. First Zafir. with Zafir, and yeah. that's it's very 
logical and the way he tells these stories is so swooning. Yes. And you just, I mean, the thing with Idris Elba is you're like, how would someone not be falling in love yes. with this man? Yeah. And then he's playing this character who's so, like you said, overwhelmingly emotional mm-hmm. that it makes sense that he's falling in love. Yeah. But I have seen a lot of people complain that they don't buy the third act development of like, okay, now these two are in love. I mean... Which I disagree with. I, I totally am like, after hearing all that, I'm like, all right, baby, take me away. Yeah, and you let's... crack me open. Look, I, want a, I want a bone. Told his backstory is she was married to a guy, right? They they had a child that didn't go. Pregnancy that didn't go. Their relationship fell they apart. They focused... And it was like they focused all their energy on trying to conceive. Yes. And when it didn't work, everything was sort of falling apart. Yeah. Yes. It, I, I, which he, I mean, tells so gracefully... I feel like visually in such a short sequence. Yes, it does a very, very... The arc of their relationship, seeing her with the other... Seeing him with the other woman, but even just the baby book, all, all that shit. And then I'm, the closing the box. All of it. Yeah. All of it. It's really, really elegant shit. And, and just also just like, this woman doesn't want to talk about She's going to get the story over with as quickly as possible. She's not going to fucking embellish this the way the Jin does. But, it, but back to her, you know, like creating this fictional friend as a child... Yes. And then she's just really, really adamant about, like, I like my life. I'm happy with my life. I don't need someone else. What are you talking about? And the thing that he unlocks in her is just, like, anyone who doesn't, quote-unquote, buy the twist. Not the twist, but the, the turn. The development that the they turn fall in, in love. The story, yeah, the turn in the story, right? Sure, yeah. That they fall in love. I'm just like, well, this, first of all, this is his fundamental essence as a character. Yes. You fall in love with him. He falls in love with you. Yeah. It's kind of, you're right. It's kind of like bound up in just the experience of having coming to your life. And I think the greatest point this movie comes to is like, what is she falling in love with? More than anything, it is the idea of love. He is reigniting in her mm. the notion of being in love with another person. Right, because it's ludicrous. Yes. She's like, come live with me. It's like, come live with you. What are you talking about? He's a fucking genie. Right. Like, what is this? And then, and then there's these like almost comical, like her coming home being like, how are you doing? And he's like, oh, you know, I went to the Large Hadron Collider today. Pretty cool. Right. And you're like, what? This is going to be their life? Like, but but that's what romance is, but right? Where you're like, like we'll wi- just figure it out. My wish is that you could love me fully and like endlessly. And then they have like amazing fucking magic cloud Smoke spiritual sex, sex <laughs> yeah. right? Looks right. incredible. And then she's they just like, become vapor. Come back to London to, uh, with me. Live in my flat next to my two shitty neighbors, right? She gets this, she gets some jabs in at the neighbors, the uh, who are like the neighbors are like ultimate little Englander biddies who are like, the, we don't like foreigners round here. The you know. ultimate you know, vulnerability for her is to admit, like, I think I would like to share my life with somebody, but the thing she had not considered, the reason she'd close herself off to this possibility is like I've been hurt before. Right. I do not know if I can find someone who will love me so selflessly and thoroughly and not hurt me. I would rather not try than get hurt again. So she's like, well, if I can wish for that love, it's less that like I have fallen in love with him in having this conversation with him. It's that he has ignited in her the notion of falling in love, and he mm. represents the ideal of what you would want from a partner in a magical sense. But then this sort of profound point she gets to of just like, your love is a lie because I wish for it. It cannot be real if I asked it of you. Aside from the fact that you are turning into dust and dying because the cell phone signals hurt you too much. This isn't love because I wanted it. Right. Wait, wait. The dynamic is sort of broken from fundamentally from the start, which is like makes sense. And that's his sort of curse as a... Yeah. But... 
there is the suggestion, like there has been an evolution in his experience here because every other story, it's like, well, I was in love with someone or I was trying yes. to help someone be in love. And then it fucking ends up with me back in the bottle. Right. And this one feels a little different. But the, yes, the big twist beyond them moving in together right. is that he can't exist in our modern world yeah. because of the damn 5G signals. The damn fucking signals. <laughs> damn cell phones, uh, which are basically turning him into uh, ashes, Yes, I guess, right? They're yeah. like melting him. Yeah, wish number two is I wish you could speak because um, his mouth is all dusty and he can't talk. Yes. And then wish number three becomes what I find very touching. I, I'm going to get the exact detail of this wrong but she basically says i wish you are wherever you would be happiest right and he goes back to his like realm yeah yeah um but then it, he, it's not then as simple he, as a genie or free thing it's it's a like right. you you need what i want for you is your you happiest need to be state. number one in your own life again i can't say what that is hell yeah but i want the thing that you want she's figured it out she's figured it out it's and, it's kind of the perfect wish and it means he can come visit her which i think is lovely like you know like there's that code of like you know yeah sure we're not together but which i think is kind of a direct mirroring in. of the, of the fucking friend she creates as a child right he right, exists right. in the state of the little paper cutout boy almost you know right and you know they can hang but out on Parliament also, Hill, which I also, by the way, I where I, I grew up, I do want to say I feel like most of this movie is meant to be taken literally, right? Sure, I do think there's interpretation. Yeah, it's not like she, I don't buy that. It's like oh, she's having some big fantasy of no this, and it's, it's like her, her emotional development is no, of course no, yeah, no. Even if the other people can't see the things in the earlier moments and whatever, right? But she's narrating this film. We then see her in a park with a book, drawing the jean, closing it up. First page is the first lines of narration we heard at the beginning of the film. Book closed. She turned this into a story. Right. We tell ourselves stories in order to live. This is how we process the events of our lives. Right? This is how we make them palatable to ourselves. And we put them out in the world and hope that they can help other people. Or at least entertain them or distract them or whatever. And then he shows up again. And she says the thing of like, and he still comes to see me sometimes. At that point, I think you can interpret it as... She has turned him into a story so that he can be with her selectively at times. Right. He might not literally be there anymore. Or if he is, is it is in the sense that like being able to bottle things into stories help us carry them around in a cleaner way. We've taken something large and unwieldy and intangible and turned it into something sort of portable and understandable. And they have an actually healthy dynamic. Yeah, they both helped each other. They forged in, an like, actual relationship, emotional and yeah. like, you know, rewarding ways. Yes. Another thing about this movie I found really fascinating is it's like one of the first movies I have seen that feels like it reflects a quote unquote post-pandemic world. I say this with full awareness of the fact that the there's a few like this that are acknowledging. There's something like that you might pop on a mask to go in a shop it's or whatever, that you know, that kind of stuff. It's that balance thing. Like early when she's giving her TED talk, there's the shot of the crowd and you're like, oh, like 40 to 50 percent of the people in the crowd are wearing masks. Yeah. That new sort of weird reality where it's just like you're going to see masks. It's not everyone masks. It's not peak, you know, like pandemic. And then even in the airport, it's like one of the security guards she talks to has a mask. The other one doesn't. Yeah. She's taking it off when she goes out of the shop, you know? There's that kind of thing. It was obviously 
in the hopper for 20 years. They started filming it. They were ready to go before the pandemic. But I think the effects of the pandemic have bled into the movie in slightly interesting, small ways. And I do think it's like, you know, I'm not going to fucking get full messy griff here. But it is one of those things of like, spend like a year and a half of lockdown being single. And then the last year and change or whatever it's been, I've been like trying to date people. And I constantly come back to basic questions that it feels like the characters are dealing with in this movie where it's like, what do I even want out of a relationship? What am I looking for in another person? Why do I want to be with another person? What do I think that gives me? What do I want to give someone else? Yeah, these are you complicated know? questions. They're like complicated questions. And yeah. I find this movie's sort of reckoning and questioning with it. Without with any relationships. Without any neat answers. That's and the, But that's the thing. It's like, this isn't, like, if I'm, oh, how, what's that movie about? Oh, it's about the stories we tell each other. Like, fucking, do you have a bed nearby that I can sure. fall? You know, but that's not just what it's about. It's no. not just about that. It's about, like, right, the emo- the, the, the quality of romance, like, with a person. Well, like, I also think the difference between love as it exists in, like, stories and how it exists in reality. I'm not even saying stories in fiction, but I'm saying the way we talk about being in love. The way it is narrativized. People falling in love, the wedding, the marriage working or it not, you know? How relationships work or don't. Versus, like, what, on a fundamental level, what are you actually looking for? Is there any tangible way to describe it? You know? Is it just whatever weird ephemeral thing you feel with another person in that moment, in that place, in that time? Is it the idea of the commitment and the everlasting and the selfless, fully giving? Is ghosting someone when you're just like, ah, I wish you back in the bottle. Ah, the ah, ulti- get away from me. The ultimate ghosting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Throw it in the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then like with online dating, there's less randomness to meeting someone. You're curating kind of around very specific needs, whereas you might just see someone at a bar and on the street and it'd be like, someone you really have this connection with that you would never like necessarily swipe. I mean, basically how you met your girlfriend. Well, yeah, we met at a bar on Sunday Doing a afternoon. Bit. Damn Doing right. a bit. Doing yeah. a bit. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to say yes to the bit. You do have to say yes to the bit. Um, but, but like, I mean, he's got the ultimate dating app, which is just, uh, every thousand years bottle opens up and here's your blind date. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. But it's like the movie is, is a little horny. I mean, because I remember when it was sort of being yeah. talked about, it was like, oh, he's making like a horny genie movie. But it's also swooningly old fashioned, old fashionedly old romantic. Yes. Don't see a lot of that. It's, these days. it's got a lot of weird contradictions in its very existence. And I think the movie is very much of a piece and gels with itself. But I think it contains such a weird collection of things. And contradictory sort of feelings and moods and and such. Not even tones as much, but certainly vibes. Yeah. You know? It's it's jarring yes. at times to go yes. back to them in the hotel room. Right. Like even the lighting, like I was saying earlier, like it was the whiteness was like giving me a headache at some point. Yeah. But but like intentional. And and this is how we used to fucking make movies. Things were not algorithmized and there were not proven franchises on a large scale. So if the right stars wanted to make something, studios would fucking throw some money at it and hoped it worked. And same with a director coming off a big hit. If a combination of all the above, all the better. 
You know, they look at something and hope it works well on paper, but sometimes you take a fucking flyer on someone because you're like, well, the guy made Fury Road. I don't know. That movie must have seemed crazy on paper. It's that thing we talk about where it's like the true blank check thing is you have a success that almost can't be quantified. The only reason it worked is because this director hit on something where they go, I don't know. I guess do it again. We just have to trust you. And so rarely when people get to that position today, do they actually get to make something like this? So often it's like they just re-up for the franchise again. And as much as he's doing Furiosa now, which he is, a lot of people just don't even do the one for me anymore. That's 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 the depressing part of whether it. they don't want to or they can't get it made or a combination of both. Is it too hard to get it made or is it more? It's like, well, you can do a one for me, but you actually need to do three for us because we need sequels fast and we actually, you know, need to get you on that treadmill quickly. It, right. And then there's like the more depressing thing of like James Gunn's one for me is making a Suicide this, Squad movie. Look, that's the ultimate example I was about to bring and up I'm because like, it was already brought up in this episode. It's not, not true. Like that I, was like, kind of a that personal movie, movie. And I'm excited for Guardians 3. Sure. But it's also kind of fundamentally depressing. A little depressing. That I'm like, you Guardians is sort of arguably Mad Maxi within the Marvel tapestry of like characters that no one fucking knew, totally very different from the other movies, work so much because of your voice and your style and your sensibility. Clearly the James Gunn thing has been quantified and is a sellable thing now. And he has chosen to reapply that to different superhero characters. Like he's going to do fucking Suicide Squad and Peacemaker. Yeah. And now when James Gunn has talked about, it's just about like, well, is he going to go back to DC full time or do you think he'll ever do a Marvel movie again or whatever? And I'm just like, I want to see the thing that James Gunn wrote 20 years ago that he couldn't get financed. Yeah, I, me he, too. There are tons of those scripts. I'm they sure exist. he's got he's them. talked about them. Let's do it. Some of them he's like fucking passed off and like, you know, produced Brightburn or whatever, you know, half developed ideas, the Belco experiment. But I'm like, direct something that is something you can make now because you've made these films rather than making another one of those films. Well, it doesn't help that this movie isn't doing very well. It doesn't. It's a bummer. Uh, but I'm but so happy it exists. Happy it exists. I'm so fucking happy it exists. Well, let's do the box office game, speaking of. Oh, wait. Can I quickly, though? I thought of at least one better wish. Oh. And I think David in particular liked this wish. A sandwich. A magical sandwich. Okay. Okay. Not, not, right. not interested. Somebody's interested. So you have this magical sandwich. Anytime you want it, you can just design a sandwich and it materializes you eat it and then it's re it resets basically you have a sandwich for life any sandwich you want that sounds fine why can't we think bigger why can't i make any food i want in front of me for life i love sandwiches yeah that's fine and it that's feels a good like response. then it's like too many response. options you know what yeah, i mean then, then you're I'm just like, sitting there being like uh, uh, i it's don't like, know I'm sitting right. at, yeah <laughs> i'm sitting at fucking hbo max like what the fuck do i want sure watch? analysis yeah. paralysis yeah i but, you always know, a, want a sandwich but there's a lot of kinds but i guess you'd just be like whatever you know it's yeah so you're i'm bound by the parameters of the sandwich yeah it's but like, wait a second yeah can you make a hot dog with this power? Is a hot dog a sandwich? Can you make a hot dog? This is the question. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Right, moving on. Um, can I, I don't want to harp on this, but I just want to say this quickly. Talking about the, the release of this movie and then the performance and everything, which I, I think we all agree, kind of unavoidable. 
weird movie. It was unavoidably not going to do well. It no. maybe could have done better than it did. Right. So I just the one thing I want to spotlight within this is uh, Mike DeLuca had this like 18 month, two year run as the head of MGM. Right. Yeah. Mike DeLuca, we talked about, wrote uh, In the Mouth of Madness and was a, a New Line studio exec and has sort of bounced around for years. Did a lot of movies at Sony, but like went back to MGM and was sort of like, I think we can fill a hole in the marketplace. What are the movies that aren't being made anymore? Teamed up with Annapurna. You know, we're like, we want to make like movies for grown-ups, small to mid-sized films that the studios are dropping but are a little bit too big. So they make like House of Gucci, which works at the box office. Liquor's Pizza, which does okay, but obviously works critically, gets Oscar nominations, whatever. And it kind of felt like, oh, here's like a new force of like getting shit back up. They get the distribution for this movie. And you're sort of like, okay, MGM's like slotting into an A24 adjacent space with maybe slightly more commercial things. And then Mike DeLuca has now been hired by Warner Brothers to sort of take over their film division. MDM is sort of abandoned. And it just already feels like the dream of this thing is maybe a little bit out the window. And now he's just back into the Warner Brothers thing, which all we're reading in the press is all the Warner Brothers hand wringing of how do we just reestablish the franchises in the biggest ways and get rid of anything that feels even slightly risky? Mm, I don't know. It'll but I, I do think that's partially the reason this movie has been a little orphaned. Yeah, it's partially. Is this was kind yeah. of like the last movie of the DeLuca run, but DeLuca's out the door already. That's part of it. The other part is it's just... It's weird. Weird. Um, I think Warner Brothers is going to be... It's it's up. It's, it's yes and no. It's good that Warner Brothers is like, we need to release movies in theaters again. Great. It's not great that they're like, oh my God, what do we do about Aquaman? But that's also... It's what the trades care about now. So like that's all they fucking care about. It's all they ask about. It's all they think about. Yeah. What's you know the Flash Aquaman? You know what? You know, and it's like it just becomes this like overwhelm. There's other shit will slip through, and other you know whatever. It's been such a year for non-franchise stuff actually making money that like that will reflect. It always does. Like the winds do always shift. We talk about the Idris thing in this. Like, why hasn't he quite had the gotten the the sort of hold as a, an A-list star? And it is like. The the weird element of, like, in a certain way, the most important thing about being a bankable actor is having a big enough franchise that is everlasting, ongoing, indefinite, right? So that whenever you're promoting your smaller movies, they can ask you questions about the next movie in that franchise, and those answers go viral. It's what you're talking about. It's like, the, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy of, if these are the only movies that we report on, they're the only movies that are getting oxygen. Yeah. But I just think that's not going to be true after this year. Uh, this year was great. I hope. The next couple months are bleak. And this is the first really bad weekend in the run of studios not releasing a ton of stuff. But yeah. also traditionally the worst weekend of the year. Yeah, always this is just box a office. slow time. Yeah. Um, I lived through 2020 and 2021 box office reporting. Like, I, I, I'm just simply not going to be cowed. Oh, it's been a lean September. I'm like, bitch. The the twisted was like number one for six weeks well, or whatever it was yeah, called. Absolutely, I and wish- I was you know it was all theaters are going to die. Top Gun Maverick just made a billion and a half dollars, not with, without China. I wish there was more coming out, but that having been said, There's you look at the beginning out. of this year and you're like, oh yeah, right. So recently, every movie but below number six at the box office was making less than a million dollars. Yeah, and no one's talking about the Warner Brothers thing. It's like, it's, they got sold. AT&T has more money than the Discovery Channel. 
Yeah. They got sold by one of the most powerful companies in the universe to the Discovery Channel. To a, to a company they that's have less money. Smaller than they are. Yes. Like so obviously they have to fucking cook up. I'm not saying it's good. It's just like not why bad. do you think they're cutting costs? Yeah. It's not because cinema is dead. It's because stupid corporate nonsense. Get over it. You get over Streaming it. is the thing. That's I love maybe Discovery dead. Plus. <laughs> they have great programming. Okay? Ben's been watching fucking Shipping Toy Masters. Games. Yeah. Now, uh, I love a House Hunter International. He's not even joking. Number one at the box office is The Invitation. The Invitation. It's just a, one of those weird, tiny number one grosses. Wasn't it called The Bride? Is that what it was? It, it, it changed its name to The Invitation, which is the name of a better movie. Yes. Bad title. Um, there's a show called Good Bones, but don't let it fool you. It's about the the, the house bones has of the good house. bones. Yeah. It was called The Bride, and then it was renamed The Invitation because supposedly, like, the bride tested poorly with men. That sounds like some made up shit, though. Absolutely. Um, but anyway, I, Invitation not... bad title for that movie has been used too often, too frequently, too recently. Um, and, but from what I'm actually, aware, it's a Dracula movie. It, it's it's, it's a, like it's she's a in, modern Bride of Dracula right, sort of right. You get film. invited to the you know yeah. to the manor and guess and if people think we're there. spoiling it, the trailer spoils everything. It's one yeah, of those trailers. Shows, the whole movie it truly, just, where yeah. the trailer has three acts and the last shot of the trailer, you're like, that might be the last shot of the film. <laughs> I feel confident that might be the <laughs> final shot. Uh, I want to see it. I feel like people say it's not very scary, but kind of good. Okay, I'll check it out. I, I'm, I'm probably a big on Natalie TV. Emmanuel fan. I might, I do love her. She's yes. I, I'm happy she finally uh, got a leading role. Uh, absolute charmer. Uh, number two at the box office is an action film um, based on a either is a book bullet or a train? comic book. Is it a comic book? Bullet I believe train? it's a novel. Novel. Uh, bullet Train, which has made eighty million dollars and almost two hundred worldwide. Have you seen it? Quiet. I haven't. I found it. Pleasantly distracting. Okay, I'll which check it out. Basically, is what I ask for from movies like that. I was days. on vacation when it came out. Yeah, but uh, no, I, the reviews were harsh enough that, like, after being excited by the trailer, I was like, "Oh, is this gonna be a real fucking bummer?" And I watched it, and I was like, "This kept me entertained the entire time." It has good performances in it. Yeah, I'll check. It's it. And I, I love Pip. I love yeah. Pip. Um, uh, number three at the box office stars the star of this movie. Star of this movie, it is Idris Elba's Beast, which I hear is fun. I've also heard is fun. And it's quietly made 20 mil despite like quasi not existing. Yeah. It's he fights a is it a tiger or a lion? Lion. Fights a lion. With rabies, I think. This lion's like fights a, just fights lion. a lion? Yes. Yeah, he's like taking his daughters on a safari and there's like a lion that's out of control and they're like stuck in a car and he's like, I gotta figure out how to fucking kill and this it, lion. It's a Baltazar Coma Coma Kerr movie. And that guy kind of makes good that guy's like good. watchable thrill. Like Everest, Everest is really good. Contraband is Contraband like, is really better good. than it should be. I haven't seen the last but people stuck up for a drift. People thought a drift was fun. Oh the yeah, Shailene I never Woodley. saw it. Yeah, uh, like you know that got like it's like you know the guy's not going to punch above his weight. He makes you a fun little you know. No, but he arguably does punch a little above his weight. He just or, knows what his weight class. That's is. what I'm saying. Like he's not he's not going to make anything too fancy no. here. So Idris Elba is going to punch a lion or whatever. I you want to see that. To, see that. Almost to his credit, and I know this will sound bizarre coming from me. I hear he was like one of the guys Universal really wanted on Fast and Furious, maybe for eight. Because most of his films have been a universal. Sure. And he was like, no, I want to work small. I don't want to make something that big. Okay. He just kind of was like, I don't I don't want to be Jeremy Collette, Sarah. I like making movies where I can punch a little bit above expectations. Right, right. Anyway. Number four at the box office. Yeah. Has been out for 14 weeks. Okay. It's made $4.7 million in its 14th weekend. It, it is Top Gun Maverick? It's Top Gun Maverick. 
which is kind of getting uh, just boosted at the end of the summer. Yes. People are coming back around to it. You know why? Why? It's a very, very fun movie to see. It is fun. Very fun movie to see at the movie theater. Yeah. They've like put it back in more screens. I think they they have been putting it back on it's, premium it's formats. Ranks, it's Here's its rank at the box office over the 14 weeks. Yeah. One, one, two, three, two, two, three, four, five, five, six, two, four, four. I mean... It has not dropped out of six. Six is the lowest it's been in 14 weeks. And it's only... It's been going up again. It's just chilling. Yeah. yeah and then it went yeah, up. Yeah. yeah. It's wild. Have you seen it? No. Wow. You're pretty good. You're like the only person in America. Yeah, you're kind of the only one. I saw it three times in theaters. And it's not even like I was I saw it twice and I kinda wanna do one more. It's just it it just like it's not it's not anywhere close to my favorite movie of the year. It's It's not the movie I enjoyed the most. But but I'm like it's you know what's fun? It's up there. Going to a theater and watching that. What a fun experience. I'm doing the gong. You know, from the theme song. <laughs> uh, number five at the box office was number one the week before. Huh. It's from Crunchyroll Studios, that major oh, distributor. Right. I forgot that this was number one. Is is the title just Dragon Ball Super? Dragon Ball Super colon superhero, okay. obviously. I couldn't remember if there were two supers. Remember Broly? Yeah. How's he doing? I think okay. Uh, it's made $30 million in two weeks. I mean, that ain't nothing. Look, I, I agree with you that everyone needs to calm down about Death of Cinemas. And I think the the rise of these short-run anime releases making tens of millions of dollars in theaters prove that, like, no, people want to see things in theaters. For the right movie, there are underserved audiences. Yeah. For there example, are genres that have always want to been see viewed as not commercial enough. That if you put bucks. in theaters, people will fucking vote with their dollars and rush out to see opening weekend. DC League of Super Pets is number six. Yeah, okay. 3,000 Years of Longing is number seven. Not great. Open you know. to two? Uh, 2.9. Okay. Uh, so almost three. It, this is not that I'm any sort of fucking distribution genius, but this is the classic example of a movie for me where I'm like, you should have released this on 600 screens maximum. That would be the apparently a wide release was either built into its contract or demanded by multiplexers. Both of these things have been reported. Okay, the latter makes a lot of sense to me. The multiplexers were like, "Hey, do you have a movie with movie stars? Can we have it? Yeah, we need stuff." But I'm like, six hundred is a reasonable size, and then you can pump it up weekend two or three. But it's like this is a movie where you want fewer screens, more full, the first weekend to build some word of mouth from the people who like it. Rather than having everyone report on well, this fucking $60 million movie, Lady Turd. Um, number eight of the box office. <laughs> I hate that they sound like that. Yeah. yeah I don't Minion- like that they sound like that either. Is Minions the Rise of Crew? Uh huh. Another. Number- big hit. Huge. Huge, massive hit. Fat titty hit. Exactly. <laughs> titty so big. <laughs> number. <laughs> fat Minion titties flopping around the box office. Number nine is Thor Love and Thunder, which, despite horrible buzz and bad reviews, has also just kind of made $750 million worldwide. Yeah. You know, right. Just, it's another movie that people are like a flop a palooza and you're right. like, highest grossing Thor movie. Yeah. And just barely. Hi- but highest yes. grossing Thor movie without being released in China, Russia, and Correct. like maybe two other territories. It right. outgrossed Ragnarok. Now, number 10, I just wanted to get to number 10, is a film that has outgrossed Scream. Bullet Train, mm-hmm. DC League of Super Pets, sure. Morbius, yeah. Jackass Forever, yeah. Everything Everywhere All at Once. It is quietly, we were texting with the Doughboys, our friends, about the underperformance of this movie and the amount of original films that have sort of surprised at the box office this mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Elvis, 
Elvis has done very well. That's, that's done way better than this movie. Nope, yeah. if it's even... Nope's, you know, nope's at number 11. It's made $120 million. Yeah. Um, this is quietly the little engine that could of 2022. Yep. Where the crawdads sing. Chirp, 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 chirp. Over 80 domestic. Yes. For Over a movie that got horrible reviews. Worldwide. And literally the day it came out, my publication published a giant story about the woman who wrote the book possibly murdered yeah. someone. Yes. And is still wanted for murder. Holy shit. Yeah. And yet people are like, Cardheads are singing. I'll go. It stars Daisy Edgar Jones. Well, we love her. Of course. But like the biggest name attached to this movie it's is Reese Witherspoon as producer. Correct. Yes. That's like, I mean, that's a movie that most places would go, you punt this to streaming. There's not a place for this in the theatrical marketplace. People are leaving their homes to go see where the crawdads sing. I wouldn't. But they did. They went and saw it's it. It's encouraging. Number 14 in the box office, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Re-released tie into Andor. They right. put in IMAX only. Yeah. Made IMAX is, has been in this weird zone of just like, so what do we do? We want to see E.T. No. Yeah. Jaws coming back this weekend. That's cool. And 3D. Jaws 3D? Guess see Jaws 3D. It's okay. Jaws 1 three, in 3D, not Jaws 3D in 3D. Yeah. That's it. You've seen a lot of movies lately. Yeah. You said I'm, this, this is, I'm in now. 3,000 Years of Longing was sort of a weird exception because, because of when it came out. But now sure. I'm now in festival mode where the movies are getting loaded into my mouth like donuts. You said you're not sure if this is still your number one. No, it might not be. Do you want to say or is it too premature? The thing you told me was was fighting for the spot right now. Uh, Yeah, uh, Tar. You love Tar. Love Tar. You want to talk Tar. Tar is going to be very divisive i think can't wait um it's about it's a two hour 40 minute movie with kate blanchett as a conductor who gets canceled oh this is an avatar it's not avatar although i'm excited for avatar That's what I, and we, and cool. we will be talking that tar at the end of the year we sure will i was like damn james had a take all right <laughs> shit i don't know what he did james Here we only go. gets canceled too, Cultural it's about classical music yeah uh, I do love Tar, and I'm just about to see a bunch of movies, so we'll see yep. like how it all settles. And it's always an unsettled time. Funny pages. We were just both talking about funny pages before the record, yeah. which Ben is not seeing with love. But I want to shout that out because that's a movie uh, in limited release, but it's it's playing in many cities. It's in like 20 different cities right now. That and movie is fucking hilarious. It's wonderful. And I, it's I'm also... biased. Owen Klein's an old friend of mine, but oh, well, sure. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful movie uh, that I highly recommend to our listeners. And I said this before the record, but yes, incredibly funny movie. Good movie to see with a crowd. Yeah. Great movie to see on a big screen. Yeah. Um, but it also feels to me like when we watch someone's first film in a miniseries and you see the rough first film where the whole thing is there. You know? Yeah. yeah. Like when we go back and go like, oh, the whole voice and the perspective and the point of view and the style is there. I, I think Owen Klein's going to have a really interesting career as a filmmaker. And I think it's a wonderful movie. Um, recommend that. Just a lot of excitement, you know. I'm about to see the Fablemans, baby. Look, you're you're not. It, it's not like three thousand years of longing, but three weeks of break from Kubrick is what this is kicking off. That's true. Next week we're talking Pinocchio. Pinocchio. I don't think I'm gonna like as much as this movie. I also am feeling that way. But what a surprise it would be <laughs> oh, if it if it eclipsed our high. If know, we were charmed by Pinocchio, should I rewatch the original? Yeah. It's a good movie. It's good. Um, and then we're going to do The Woman King because Gina Prince-Bythewood has a big yes. movie coming out in September as well. So they all come 
or I'll come in week after week after, you know. Yeah. And then we will be back to Kubrick with Doctor Strangelove. Yeah. With Sean Fantasy. Fuck it. I'll just yeah, announce say it. it. Yeah. Say it. Most get excited. Guest dorks. Yeah. We it's a good episode. Got him on. It's a good episode. Yeah. Uh, but see, so yeah, next week, Pinocchio. And let's say this. Should we say it? Uh, yeah. What, I don't know what, but okay. Talk about another long. Oh, oh the guests on Pinocchio. Yes, yes, yeah. I mean, we haven't recorded it yet, but they'll they'll show up. Yes, barring any catastrophe, if this has not been cut out, Griffin I think isn't it, lying. His nose has stayed the same. My nose has stayed the same. <laughs> same. Uh, uh, long overdue. The podcast, the ride, uh, guys, the good boys themselves, uh, Scott Gardner, Jason Sheridan, Mike Carlson, all three of them will be talking Pinocchio with us. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Woman King, I think we'll do solo. I believe so. And then yeah, back to Kubrick. And you know, yeah, it's gonna be uh, Strange Love, Two Thousand One, A Space Odyssey, Clockwork Orange, Barry Lyndon, The Shining, Full Metal Jacket, Eyes Wide Shut. Hmm. It's quite a run. Heard of you those? know what's fucked up? What? Um, let me just double check here to yeah. see. Mm-hmm. Full Metal Jacket will be our four hundredth episode. Is that right? Wow! Isn't that sick? Yeah, that is sick, huh? Isn't that sick in the head? That's sick in the head. That's totally twisted, out of control. Fucking twisted. All right, I gotta eat something. Jesus. All yeah, right, we're too. done. We only had a magical sandwich. I know. Don't you wish? I mean, Ben's right. It is kind of the ability I want mid-record is just like give me the exact Chicken sandwich parm, I'm thinking boom. of. Yeah, uh, this is a wonderful masterpiece, and I can't wait to watch it many more times. Look, over go the see years. it in theaters. If yeah, you go can. see it in theaters if it's even available. I, at this I, I, look, it's not gonna be there for long. Try to catch it when you can. If you're going to see it, it certainly benefits from being seen on big screen. Yes. Yes. And also vote with your dollars. Yeah, please do. And tell us your wishes, guys. Tell us your wishes. Tell us your wishes within reason. And here's my greatest wish. No wishing for being on this podcast. Yeah, no wishing for no, that. that. No, <laughs> and if you say longer episodes, oh, oh baby. Oh, boy. I'm going to go trouble. bad genie. No. I'm going to go Jafar genie on your ass. <laughs> no. And if you say, I wish I could be on the blank episode, you're banned. <laughs> banned. Banned. New rule of the podcast. We only book people who don't want to be on the show. <laughs> uh, here's my greatest wish. And even Idris would accept this because it's a true reflection of my... Deepest, darkest desire. Hmm. I wish that you would rate and subscribe. I wish that you'd show your appreciation to Marie Barty for social media helping produce the show. AJ McKeon, Alex Barron for our editing. Joe Bowen, Pat Rounds for our artwork. Lane Montgomery and the Great American Novel for our theme song. You, I wish, I wish you'd type blankcheckpod.com into your browser for links to some real nerdy shit, including Blank Check, special features at Patreon, commentaries on franchises, like Roger Moore, James Bond, and some fun Kubrick bonuses we have coming up. And Confess Fletch this month, the new Fletch movie. Yeah, we're going to do a little one-off fun bonus episode about the new Fletch movie. Doing that at the end of the month, because that's when it's coming out. Uh, And as always, I think all three of us just really, really want a sandwich right now. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.